0: Okay, folks, you're in for a treat. This is a three hour interview with Michael Collins Piper. I was thinking about cutting this up and I just said, What should I do on Facebook? And the comment from Bob Heller said, Don't do it Greenwald style, uh, made me say, Okay, I've got to release this all at once. So it's three hours. If you don't have time to listen to it, pause it, look at your minute mark, and come back and listen to it again. Because I can't refute a comment like that. My guest today is Michael Collins Piper. He's the author of a series of books linked below. Final Judgment is the book we're talking about today. It's a groundbreaking book on the JFK assassinations. He's also a host on American Free Press. And I'm sure the ADL and other outfits of the terrorist state of Israel are having a fit right now just for me talking to you. Uh, And already some of the stooges on the Zionist left are typing away, ready to call me names, just for having you on. All I can say is you get flack when you're over the target. And if a pompous war criminal and an arrogant, warmongering bully like Netanyahu, a filthy racist, ethnic cleanser, thief, and a liar, can breathe in the open air and get standing ovations from the U.S. Congress, a cowardly flock of careerist buffoons, and get away with it, then anybody who gets upset at two journalists daring to call a spade a spade, as children live in an outdoor prison in Gaza, and the U.S. and Iran are being pitted and goaded into war, while Salafi and Zionist terrorists eat people's organs in Syria, has serious problems and, I dare say, a mental disorder, and I'm very glad to have you on. It's been a, a, a tug of war, a little back and forth of one thing happening or another, but fifth time's the charm, so we say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad to join you, Ryan, at long last. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with your work, and you've done a lot of great work over the last few years, and thank God you have, because uh, this is not exactly a nice field to delve into, and uh, and uh, there's a lot of people you know i get I get criticized for saying this, but uh, there's a lot of people out there who have gotten attached to computers and attached to uh, YouTube and attached to the capacity to communicate worldwide and and a lot of those people are not doing it in a in a productive or positive way, but I think you have been doing it, and so you deserve all the congratulations for that.
0: Well, thank you very much. There, is, there are a lot of people who get sort of tempted to go the route of sensationalism uh, just for the sake of, of numbers or whatever, but I like to stick to the truth as much as possible. Um, so, JFK's is a massive subject. So I guess, uh, well, I'll start with this, because there's a lot of attention right now on whistleblowers with Snowden and, and Manning uh, or Tice. Um, but the original, original whistleblower was Mordecai Vanunu. And of course, as you know, he's the one who blew the whistle on Israel's nuclear program and took pictures of it and put it in the British papers. Um, and then he was caught in a honey trap and thrown in jail and, and sat in uh, solitary confinement for 11 years. But when he did get out, he had something to say about JFK. Um, what did he say? And uh, how was he caught? Was that solely a CIA uh, sting operation or was it, well, was there Israeli involved in that too?
1: You know, it's interesting just for the record. Uh, it, January of 19, well, I should say January of 2014, which is where we sit at this moment, actually happens to be the 20th anniversary of the publication of my book on the Kennedy assassination, Final Judgment. And, of course, Final Judgment, uh, a large part of the foundation of the book uh, was the allegation that Israel was involved in the JFK assassination, because Israel was trying to, pre- or I should say, JFK, John F. Kennedy was trying to prevent Israel from building nuclear weapons. Now, what's kind of interesting, and you know, I, I you know, as much as I have talked about the book in the last, in the last, year, well, year, but you know, after the last twenty years, I oftentimes really don't even look at the book because uh, so much of it is is foremost in my mind, or maybe hanging around in my brain somewhere. But it's really interesting about Mordecai Vanunu, you know it was in nineteen eighty six is when he blew the whistle on Israeli nuclear weapons, and you know he was set up as you say it was a honey trap, and uh they uh they eventually they got him back to Israel. they finally did let him out and it's what what's kind of interesting is I found out in the course. The, the original edition of Final Judgment came out in 1994, but uh, several subsequent editions came out in the years that followed. And in the course of that, I found out that Vanunu had actually said in a 1997 letter to his adoptive parents, uh, a couple of peace activists in St. Paul, Minnesota, he actually alleged that there was a link between the JFK assassination and the 1967 war that Israel launched against its Arab neighbors. Now, that that I, un, unusual little item I found in a uh, a clipping from a Minnesota newspaper that had been sent to me at the time. Uh, it and, and 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 these people who had adopted uh, uh, Vanunu were living in Minnesota, and that's the only place that that was reported. Now, I thought that was quite. Uh, quite interesting and of course at the time people said well that was a sign of vanunu's paranoia well finally when when vanunu was released from prison under under some great uh, sanctions uh, uh, by the israelis lim- limiting his contact and so forth with people he made a public assertion that he believed that supporters of israel's nuclear weapons program were in fact involved in the JFK assassination uh, precisely because of JFK's efforts to stop Israel from building the nuclear bomb. Now, at the time, at the time, uh, needless to say, he was criticized for this because he was, you know, some people said he shouldn't engage in conspiracy theories, other people said he was engaging in, you know, uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Uh, I subsequently found out as much as i 'd like to claim that that Mordecai, who I had the pleasure of interviewing a number of times uh, by long distance telephone many years ago and i, and I, I do and i 've said this before i 'll say it again I really felt like I was uh in the presence via telephone of a saint and I, i'm not i'm not overstating that uh... there was a real spirituality about this man yeah i mean so they just,
0: threw him back in jail for what he said yeah,
1: yes exactly well you know i found out that his he had learned of my book final judgment and the thesis that it presented from another israeli dissident uh... named um israel Shahak. not israel Shahak. i'm sorry uh, Another Israeli dissident who, who, who was a convert to Christianity, and you know, I'm sorry his name escapes me. Um, his first name was Israel, though, uh, and he had some prominence some years ago. But he is the one who first told Vanunu about my book. So, so contrary to a lot, what a lot of people thought or presumed, Vanunu was not talking from any inside information. He was simply saying, I'm familiar with this thesis, and I believe this to be the case. So um, on the one hand, as much as I appreciated what Mordecai Vanunu had to say, because it did bring attention to my thesis, he really he wasn't talking from inside information. But, uh, but needless to say, the very fact that someone of his stature, his very real stature, called attention to it was something that... Uh, honored me a great deal. And then uh, several years later, when uh, when someone uh, was putting together a book of my writings, actually Victor Thorne, uh, uh, Mordecai provided an endorsement, a uh, very warm endorsement for my writings, and 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 made reference to Final Judgment. And I can't think of a bigger honor, uh, really, than an endorsement from someone like Mordecai Venunu, who spent all of those years you know in in solitary confinement uh you know uh this is this guy is a real hero to world peace and uh, and you know that was the whole point of jfk's opposition to uh israel's nuclear weapons program because in fact uh jfk's entire entire positioning vis-a-vis nuclear weapons it wasn't just Israel's nuclear weapons weren't incidental to it. My understanding is that Israel's nuclear weapons program were at the very center of JFK's nuclear nonproliferation policy. And uh well, you know, it's been very interesting that ever since and and I, I I you know, I hate to pat myself on the back or take too much credit in too many places at too many times but i do believe that after i published final judgment and my thesis got into circulation uh there was an interesting rush on the part of supporters of israel to actually make the claim that jfk's pre- this is they really make this claim that jfk's pressure on israel over nuclear weapons was a sign of the loving the warm loving a familial relationship between JFK and Israel, when in fact it was a very bitter bone of contention between JFK and Israel. So what these people have done is kind of admit to it. They've admitted to the fact that there was this pressure by JFK, but said, oh, it was actually a very good thing, because Israel and the United States were very good friends, and after all, JFK provided Hawk missiles to J." to Israel. So so Israel really was our dear friend and and you know the 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 bottom line kind of subtle message there is is you shouldn't believe anybody who might suggest that Israel's nuclear weapons program which of course all all sources Israeli and anti-Israeli make this very very clear that it was a centerpiece of Israel's very national security policy. It's it's geopolitical strategy for dealing not just with the Arab world but the world itself so to to try to dismiss Israel's nuclear weapons program and try to suggest that j f k s pressure on Israel meant nothing is just uh well it's it's it's, audash, it's, it's chutzpah, it's odd it's hutzpah for one of a better way of looking at it and describing it
0: well, we'll get back around to the to uh the nuclear issue in Israel too, but I want to s- rewind back here because I think for most people, because uh, not everybody reads a lot of books on JFK or anything, and, and like you said, they probably just get hung up on YouTube and this and that. So I think for most people, the starting point for them is uh, the movie JFK from Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of the, the kosher version of events, and it it ignores Israel completely as a motive. And it also dismisses the mob. Uh, which is not surprising given who the producer was. <clears throat> but what are your <laughs> thoughts on... Uh, and actually, you correctly said in Final Judgment, uh, you called him out with Arnon Milchan, so you were right about him. But last month, he came out of the closet, so to speak, about uh, being an Israeli asset. But um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that film? And uh, just go ahead and have fun. <laughs> well, you know,
1: you know, it's interesting. I was... Uh... You know, having always been interested in the JFK assassination, I was uh, absolutely uh, uh, captivated by all the controversy surrounding the film before it came out. And then I saw the movie, <laughs> and I said to myself, "You know, I, as as someone who who would have who I mean, I tinkered with eight millimeter films as a kid, and you know, if I really had my druthers, I'd be sitting today as a big Hollywood." film producer and director because that's what I what I really really wanted to do but I knew I was a nice little goy from Pennsylvania and I just didn't think that I'd ever cut it in Hollywood but be that as it may when that film came out I was absolutely impressed with the with the production values of the film with the with the drama of the film with the directorial style of Oliver Stone and and the photography by his associates and so forth, so it was an impressive film. But by that time that the film came out, I had already you know been doing a lot of reading and rereading about the JFK assassination, largely from my own you know substantial personal library on the topic and uh, And you know i I then then, in that time frame actually started writing Final Judgment, starting the research and writing of Final Judgment. And I was cognizant, conscious of one particular thing that that Oliver Stone had very, well, I shouldn't say very carefully because, you know, you can give him the benefit of the doubt and say he knew nothing about it. But I, I became aware that Oliver Stone certainly as most jfk researchers didn't uh didn't mention anything about jfk's conflicts with israel and they they were more than just the uh just a nuclear bomb uh but um but in that film in that film there was some linkage definitive linkage to israel and pro-israel interests uh, that was referenced in passing by Stone, but not referenced in the context of an Israeli connection. Okay, and I'll go into that without without belaboring the the, the details. Uh, anyone who's seen the film knows that this guy uh, uh, Clay Shaw, this New Orleans-based trade executive, uh, was 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 prosecuted by Jim Garrison for involvement in some aspect of the JFK assassination conspiracy. Now contrary to what a lot of people think, mostly people who have either not read my book, Final Judgment, or or just to have simply ignored the, the details of the book for, for whatever reasons of their own, I have never disputed that this guy Clay Shaw had CIA connections. Anyone who's done any serious research knows that Clay Shaw had CIA connections going back to the earliest years of his career. Uh but the fact is if you start looking at Clay Shaw's other connections, you find that he is he was eyeball deep in very intimate connections to and I'm not just talking about Jewish interests. A lot of people say, "Oh, Piper finds a Jew under every bed or in every closet." No. Uh Clay Shaw's connections went right to the heart of Israel's nuclear weapons program. Uh, first of all, uh, as Oliver Stone referenced in the film, uh, Shaw was associated with a very shadowy organization which we are led by Stone's film to believe was some sort of CIA proprietary. Uh, it was a company called Permandex which itself was a subsidiary of a of another shadowy group called Centro Mondiale Commerciale. Pardon my poor uh poor uh, uh pronunciation but uh but that was based in Rome. And uh if you look into the original founder of the CMC, it was a character by the name of uh, Giorgio Mantello or George Mandel. Uh he was a Hungarian Jew. Uh, with long-standing international connections uh, to Israel and the Mossad. He was considered a quote-unquote hero of the Holocaust. Uh, he, uh, he is a guy who is credited with first bringing to public attention the alleged uh, extermination of Jews in gas chambers at Auschwitz. So this is a guy who's, who's, whose public identity to this day is indisputably uh, linked to To Jewish and Israeli concerns, whatever your views of the Holocaust, whatever your views of Israel, this guy is like a hero of israel so So a lot of these rumors about uh, Clay Shaw being connected to Nazis and the CIA well no that 's not exactly where where the CMC was connected any more than this organization, Permendex, which was a which was a subsidiary. Uh, Linked to Permandex, very and when I say linked, I mean I'm talking these are intimate connections here. The the actual board of directors of Permandex was chaired by Louis Bloomfield of Montreal. Louis Bloomfield was a close associate of the Bronfman family, who of course were key players in the Jewish organized crime syndicate, really, not just in the United States but internationally. And a lot of people don't quite understand that, because they've been caught up in the image of quote-unquote the mafia. But uh, Bloomfield was a longtime associate not only of the Bronfman family of Canada, and the head of the Bronfman family just died recently, Edgar Bronfman. People can go to the website of AmericanFreePress.net and see some extensive material I've written about Bronfman and his own sordid career. But, uh, but you also found that, uh, that uh, this guy, uh, Bloomfield, also had long standing intimate connections to the Rothschild family, uh, business connections, high level business connections to the Rothschild family going back to before World War II. Uh, and of course, the Rothschild family were among the primary sponsors and patrons of the State of Israel. Uh, you know there are Rothschilds on Israeli uh, currency, so that's not a conspiracy theory. That's unless you want to say that the uh, Israelis are engaging in conspiracy theorizing. Uh, but but Bronfman's Rothschilds, all of these names. Uh, Louis Bloomfield was one of the key people who was a part of a group of American Jewish millionaires and billionaires who f- who actually funded. Israel's nuclear weapons program. Uh, this is documented by Israeli writers uh, like Michael Carpen in his book *The Bomb in the Basement*. Uh, Avner Cohen uh, has written about this in his book *Israel and the Bomb*. This isn't something that uh, that Michael Collins Piper or some anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist uh, grabbed out of nowhere. So, so here are the people Clayshar are connected with through Permandex. Then and I, and i i beg the patience of your listeners who 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 may be unfamiliar with these details but they are relevant to what we're talking about here when clay shaw was on trial in new orleans charged for involvement in the jfk assassination not that he was one of the gunmen that he had a peripheral involvement uh, jim garrison himself never quite was actually certain exactly what role clay shaw did play but but needless to say, he was on the right track when Clay Shaw's defense was funded by the Stern family. Now the Stern family, yes, yes the they were, Gang. Yeah, well, well, they were Jewish. They were Jewish. Uh, now people say, "Aha! Well, Piper finds another Jew under every bed." The Stern family of New Orleans were. This is so amazing, and I didn't even know it myself. The stern and I found this out from the banker, from the investment man who helped set up the uh the, the, the NUMEC nuclear plant in Pennsylvania. Now the NUMEC nuclear plant in Pennsylvania has gained some traction, some uh what's the word I'm looking for? Some publicity, and not good publicity, uh, for having been the locale from which the founder of NUMEC, uh, Dr. Shapiro, actually was engaged, along with the CIA's James Angleton, in illicitly uh, procuring nuclear materiel for Israel's nuclear weapons program. This was a nuclear plant in Pennsylvania. Now,
0: that's in Apollo Pennsylvania and they Apollo, also dumped uranium all over the area and poisoned it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that interesting point at the very least. Yeah, the Apollo Nuclear Plant in New Mec Pennsylvania. Well, like I say, it turns out that the Stern family were actually key investors in the New Mac Nuclear Plant along with some of the which is kind of interesting along with some of the big, uh, big non-Jewish families of the Pittsburgh area, uh, people of the Mellon-Scafe families, the intermarried Mellon-Scafe families. So, so again, here we have Clay Shaw down there in New Orleans directly connected to a family, a very powerful Zionist family, that's directly connected to Israel's nuclear weapons program. You know, and and so these kind of things, I, I refuse to believe some people would say they're coincidence. And I'm not saying they're conspiracy. I'm just saying they are what they are. And it, it presents a completely different view of this guy Clay Shaw. Details that have otherwise remained under wraps for a variety of reasons. Now, why does this all turn out to be interesting
0: well hold on to come full circle on that okay. to come full circle on that with the new scandal with zalman shapiro you've got uh <coughs> sorry i'm sick but it was arnon milchen the producer of jfk it was his business fronts where they were uh smuggling Krytron triggers and things which directly involved <laughs> yes. netanyahu uh which he admitted to now and he ought to go to jail for that but he gets a pat on the back but this, yes. that's the same person who did the uh, Israeli whitewashing movie uh, was one of the main uh, sort of um, front makers to launder this nuclear material uh, as well as uh, crytrons and so forth.
1: A- absolutely. And you see, when I was you know, when I was working on on final judgment, it wasn't until I believe I, 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 I could be wrong about this. The book has gone through so many editions, and I've had to add so much to the book. I was not even conscious of the fact that Arnon Milshawn was who he was and what his connection was with JFK. I was just focusing on Oliver Stone, and the next thing I read, uh, after, I think it was after f- the first edition of Final Judgment came out, lo and behold, I discovered that the guy who actually, you know, he's listed as executive producer of the film. What that means is he bankrolled the film. He was the money man behind the film. Harnan Milshon, this guy who is not only a major arms dealer in Israel, but he is in many respects. Uh, according to a, a biography, a very glowing biography of him written by an American Jewish writer with ties to Israel and a co-author who is an Israeli, this guy is a major corporate and political power in Israel, and he's certainly now one of the major players in hollywood today and this is the guy who financed oliver stone's film oliver stone is identified publicly with the film but when you look at the financial forces behind the film you find them keyed in quite directly to the very forces that were involved with uh with clay shaw in new orleans and you know just to bring it bring it full circle after I had written, after like about the third or fourth edition of Final Judgment had come out, you know, and again people, my critics were saying that I was like trying to find every Jewish connection. And you know what I kept finding out is that after the first and second and third editions had come out that there was so much that I had entirely missed. And one of the big issues, one of the big things that I had missed was that Jim Garrison himself had circulated a manuscript for a novel about the JFK assassination, and that in this novel, he was pinpointing Israel's Mossad as the prime mover behind the assassination. Now, the source on this was uh, a fellow by the name of A.J. Weberman, who became known as a JFK assassination researcher, and I knew that he had some connections to the Jewish Defense League, the terroristic Jewish Defense League. But it wasn't until the last year, probably no more than six months ago, that I actually found out that this guy, A.J. Weberman, had actually emigrated to Israel at one point and taken up Israeli citizenship. So, So, you know, whether that's relevant or not, I don't know. But the point is, a person with Israeli citizenship is the one who posted on the Internet, the allegation that Jim Garrison was blaming the Mossad in an unpublished manuscript for the Kennedy assassination now uh that's again not something that a lot of people want to talk about, even including people who have endorsed Jim Garrison because they don't want to get in to this this very intimate Israeli connection to this whole to this whole uh this whole hornet's nest of the film. And Clay Shaw, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so so there's a lot of people who who uh who just would prefer to ignore this. And and I certainly understand why, because uh as you well know, Ryan, uh when you bring up Israeli, uncomfortable Israeli connections to so many things in our world today, uh they say nasty things about you. So well, so I mean I really... just,
0: just look at it Israel today openly has a policy of ethnic cleansing and, and bulldozing down homes and things and it's not on the news, and it's not even something they even try to hide. they didn't know it's not going to be reported on
1: yeah it's a it's kind of a given thing, and naturally, when it gets into a subject such as the Kennedy assassination um it's just something that uh, you know i i it's it's been very interesting for me to to see how different people have approached the subject. Uh I had you know I had people who didn't like my book uh because uh because they didn't like JFK's uh, civil rights policies. So they completely dismissed all aspects of JFK's uh Middle East policy which in a number of realms ran contrary to the interests of Israel and said, "Well, uh Piper's whitewashing Whitewashing JFK, there were there were other people who were critics of Israel, who said, "Well, uh, yeah, Piper might be right, or he might be on on target, or in, going in the right direction, but we can't uh, we can't can't get into the JFK assassination because that gets into conspiracy theories, and conspiracy theories make people look bad, you know. So there have been a wide variety of people who have steered clear." Of, of of even talking about the thesis for a variety of reasons, which are, you know, I don't know how you describe them, but I think it's unfortunate because, you know, in the end, I keep telling people it has nothing to do with Mike Piper. It has nothing to do with his publisher. It has nothing to do with somebody Mike Piper may have met at a meeting 20 years ago. Uh, it has everything to do with the issue that an American president was assassinated, that there were multiple Israeli connections at multiple levels, not only to people like Clay Shaw, but to multiple people involved in the conspiracy, and that upon JFK's death, according to most responsible, I should say to, to a variety of sources which most people would consider responsible, none of whom have ever been called conspiracy theorists, all of whom have been praised for their works from a wide variety of sources, ranging from Stephen Green, author of Taking Sides, to Seymour Hersh, Pulitzer Prize winner, to Andrew and Leslie Coburn. Uh, all of these things, indica- all of these writers and others, have indicated that upon JFK's death, U.S. Middle East policy did an undeniable 180-degree turnabout. And any any direction that that JFK was taking the United States vis-a-vis Israel and the Arab world was completely reversed. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, yeah, I always Stephen-
0: point that out and say it's fine to theorize about the CIA or or about uh, the MIC or what have you. But then again, once Johnson was president, he didn't go back into Cuba. He didn't do the things they assume you know based on their their motivations and reasoning. What he did do is allow the nineteen sixty seven war in the USS Liberty, though.
1: Absolutely, there's a perfect right, exactly. So, so yeah, you know, you look at the whole thing. Uh, Stephen Green, as I recall, uh, his and Stephen Green uh, was a he's considered quite a responsible journalist. I believe that he's Jewish. Uh, I one remember one time in his in his presence, he told me that he was actually had been a uh, a good friend, a personal friend of Edgar Bronfman, but that when Green started criticizing Israel, the Bronfman and the, and the, and the family uh, distanced himself. I mean, they were personal friends, uh, but Stephen Green was a a, a a fellow of the Council on Foreign Relations. You know, I mean, he was, you know, he was in circles uh, that were considered quite respectable, um, and Stephen Green, in his book, uh, I do believe it was in Taking Sides. Uh, concludes that uh, that essentially under Lyndon Johnson, and as a direct consequence, the emphasis was as a direct consequence of JFK's death, that Israel in many respects became America's fifty-first state. Now that's Stephen Green, a uh, former fellow of the Council on Foreign Relations saying that, not conspiracy theorist, anti-Semite, anti-Semite Hitler apologist, Holocaust denier Michael Collins Piper, you know saying that so so you know that's what stephen green says and that and you know you know it's kind of funny because that's the thing about final judgment in the book, the first couple chapters that deal with j f k s policy toward Israel, all of my sources you know I've read some of my critics and they say, oh well. You know, I, I've actually had people claiming that most of my sources were Nazi sources and crazy shit, pardon my language, crazy shit like that. But most of my sources were eminently mainstream sources or certainly respectable sources. And you know, I tell you what, Brian, let me let me let me read you. Let me read you something I had totally forgotten about. All right. Alright, this is the London Jewish Chronicle. They are pointing out that John F. Kennedy's delegation at the United Nations had called for the continuing movement. These are my words, but this is what they reported. That uh, Kennedy's delegation at the United States and the United Nations had been calling for the continuing movement toward the implementation of the 1948 U.N. resolution which called for the right of displaced Palestinian Arabs to return to their homes in Israel, and for those who chose not to return to their homes to be confiscated. Now, here's how the London Jewish Chronicle, in its words, reported the reaction of the Israelis, and I quote, Quote, Prime Minister Levi Eshkol summoned the U.S. ambassador and told him that Israel was shocked, quote-unquote, by the pro-Arab attitude adopted by the U.S. delegation. And then the Chronicle went on to report that Golda Meir quote, expressed Israel's quote, astonishment and anger, unquote, at the attitude of the U.S. Now, for its own part, the Chronicle noted editorially, quote, Israel, which has neither been consulted nor informed about the American intention, is not surprisingly questioning the good faith of the United States. Well, you see, what's interesting about that, and I had totally forgotten about this this article in the London Jewish Chronicle, which is no extremist publication, very respected publication in the Jewish world, which basically, not basically, which does say that Israel is questioning the good faith of the United States and that. And, and saying that the, the Prime Minister considered the United States was adopting a pro-Arab attitude? Well, as I comment in Final Judgment, it is not likely that JFK ever got to read the defamatory comments about his Middle East policy, published by the London Jewish Chronicle. They were printed on November 22, 1963. So in London, on November twenty second, 1963, the London Jewish Chronicle was informing its readers in that city and people anywhere else who took the lead of the London Jewish Chronicle as saying that John F. Kennedy and his administration were very serious enemies for all intents and purposes of the state of Israel, at least, again, in the perception of Israel. Now, of course, uh, as I always say, you cannot read uh, Jewish publications, uh, or pro-Israel voices, without concluding, according to their judgment, that everybody wants to get the Jews. Now, whether whether they're right about that or not, I don't know. But the fact is, on November 22, 1963, this eminent publication in London was saying that John F. Kennedy was a pretty bad man. And the, their words speak for themselves. They're not my words, not my interpretation. That's the London Jewish Chronicle on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. So, so that's where we stand with John F. Kennedy and Israel. While there are those today who would tell us that, oh, he was a dear friend of Israel, and you know there wouldn't be an Israel without John F. Kennedy and stuff like this. Uh, no, the evidence, uh, I, we're not suggesting here that, Israel, that John F. Kennedy would have tried to destroy Israel. But uh, we wouldn't have a Middle East like we have today if John F. Kennedy's policies had been pursued and if he had not died on November 22nd. Uh, even the, uh, I, 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 I have it in final judgment, um, Reuven Padatser, Uh, in Israel's Haaretz, reviewing Abner Cohen's book Israel and the Bomb, says, the murder of American President John F. Kennedy brought to an abrupt end the massive pressure being applied by the U.S. administration on the government of Israel. Um, Kennedy makes it quite clear to the Israeli prime minister he will under no circumstances agree to Israel becoming a nuclear state. The book implied that, had Kennedy remained alive, it is doubtful whether Israel today would today have a nuclear option. So, so you know... Yeah,
0: Ben-Gurion uh, resigned over it.
1: Yeah, and there's no question about it. Ben-Gurion quit in disgust at JFK. Now, um, it's very interesting because some uh, critics of mine uh, some years ago, uh, in fact, it was an Israeli librarian here in the United States, really went to great lengths to try to... Uh, to discredit uh, what I wrote in Final Judgment, but uh, uh, there's no question about it, based upon the writings of both critics of Israel and friends of Israel, that the uh, JFK-Ben-Gurion fight over nuclear weapons was at least a major portion of Ben-Gurion's decision to resign as prime minister. No question about it. Uh, you know you can people can call me a liar or say that i 've taken something out of context, but the fact is you can read the the writings of these other people and 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 ranging from uh Avner cohen to uh to michael carpen and uh, I do believe there may have been another writer i off, off the top of my head it doesn 't come to mind, but no question about it you know so so this is not some fantasy on the part of anti semites or critics of Israel or Or whatever that your 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 favorite uh uh
0: those are just dismissive labels i think jeff gates wrote about it as well uh and uh with numick uh grant smith has done a lot of good work on that too but calling somebody anti-semitic when they criticize israel is just sort of a a lazy uh thing that they do because a lot of the the left in the united states anyway they get really choked up about anything that might be racism or sexism or any kind of ism and uh... they're suckers for that and so you don't have to it doesn't have to be true but if you accuse somebody of something like that that's all it takes to make a lot of people back off
1: Oh, you know you know that's funny you bring that up ryan because uh... uh just a, back back six weeks or so ago you know in the in the midst of the jfk anniversary i was gonna say celebration but you know in the midst of all the discussion when we were in fact initially supposed to do our interview Uh, I actually saw somebody writing about me and and my book and and, and my thesis on the Internet, and and, you know, it was interesting. The person was not dismissing my thesis, but he did say that, well, uh, maybe this is a thesis that we JFK researchers should consider, but in so doing. We realize that we have to have solid evidence because, because being accused of anti, being accused of being anti-Semitic is is as bad as being accused of being a child molester. so, uh, well, so I had there- the
0: ADL write a hit piece about me, which is picked up in Heretz and the Jerusalem Post about a film I made about 9 /11 which didn't mention Jews or anything at all, but they were scared to death of it. I was talking about the neocons, most of which happened to be Jewish, but I didn't even feel the need to point that out. But, uh, yeah, the ADL went all after me about that.
1: Yeah, and, I uh, mean, you just cannot... Because that's something yeah, they can do. Yeah, you cannot discuss certain things without... without uh, And you can... You know, I'll tell you what, years ago, even even our own newspaper here, American Free Press, it was absolutely extraordinary because they were saying... Well, American Free Press is an anti-Semitic newspaper, and their proof for that was that American Free Press wrote about international bankers. And they said, well, American Free Press doesn't mention that the international bankers are Jewish, but they're writing in code words such as international bankers so that the people who are reading it Know that they are secretly referring to Jews
0: what else are you, you supposed know, to call an international banker?
1: yeah, you see this is what i mean so so you know i I mean I was in in writing final judgment uh, you know it, it, you know the funny thing is, I found out, as I mentioned earlier, since the first and second and third editions of the book were published, so many readers brought me brought to my attention so many things about the JFK assassination that that in my own mind further solidified my theory. And, you know, I have to admit with some embarrassment that, you know, and I didn't realize it until after the book had been out for a couple editions, somebody wrote me a letter and said, you know, Mike, I really enjoyed your book. I think you've written so much good information here. Uh, You've convinced me. You've opened my eyes up to aspects of the assassination that I never considered before, he says, but, but you totally ignore everything that happened in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I said, I wrote the guy back and I said, you know, you're right. And the fact is, I really had pretty much ignored the events in Dallas, the actual, you know, some of the intrigues in Dallas. And I said, you know, I just kind of ignored it because, uh, I figured, and I was honest about it, I figured that everything was in place, and so therefore the assassination went down. Well, it was a couple years after that then that I received a 14-page, single space typewritten, very well-written and well-researched and documented paper from somebody, mailed to me from Dallas, which outlined multiple Israeli connections. Bronfman family connections and connections by by Jewish organizations that had an interest in Israel to the actual specific events in Dallas down to uh, the idea the 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 placement of JFK's motorcade route.
0: Well, wasn't it the Spotlights trial with Hunt that brought to light that uh, Hunt was in Dallas and who two of the shooters were?
1: Well, now, that's a that's another area altogether, and I'll talk about that in a second, but but this material that was sent to me, it just absolutely amazed me because, because it further drove home the point that my earlier correspondent had made. And, you know, the point is, as I said to people at the time, the fact that I didn't even discover any of this or even look for any of this material just absolutely demonstrates the fact that I was not looking for a Jew, under every rock, or dare I say, on every grassy knoll. But you know, as far as the Hunt case, which involved, uh, which involved the spotlight for which I worked, uh, you know, the Hunt case is very, very interesting because, number one, it was following the Hunt case and studying it after the fact that, in my own mind, made me realize that James Angleton who was the number three man at the CIA, uh, head of counterintelligence, and also a devoted supporter of Israel, uh, a key player in, I mean, he was a, uh, you know, uh, he he was certainly involved in setting up the USS Liberty. He was involved in the theft of American nuclear materiel for Israel. Uh, His own biographer, Tom Mangold, uh, it's interesting, Mangold doesn't get into much about uh, 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 Angleton's relationship with Israel. Uh, he focuses more on Angleton's famous role as a, as a mole hunter and a, an anti-Soviet uh, force in the CIA. But in a footnote in his book, an endnote in his book, Mangold, who is a respected writer, says that the whole story of Angleton and his relationship to Israel could fill a book in and of itself. Uh, of course, that book has yet to be written, but uh, but I think I and I, I no, not I think I know that as a consequence of learning of the role of James Angleton, not only in being a major player in the CIA in setting up some of this false evidence linking Lee Harvey Oswald to uh, to Soviet and Cuban activities in Mexico City but the fact that Angleton was also a key behind-the-scenes player in the leaking of information that linked uh, former uh, CIA operative E. Howard Hunt, a rather notorious figure, to the events in Dallas, that I came to realize that Angleton was a key player in all of this. And I will say without qualification that with the exception of Mark Lane, who in his book Plausible Denial... Uh, wrote about angleton's role and, and and connections of angleton to all of these intrigues. I am the first writer who explored angleton's role in the j f k assassination in 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 multiple ways uh at multiple levels uh in final judgment to the point that even John Newman of the University of Maryland has now said that if anybody was could be pinpointed as an architect of the JFK assassination it would have to be James Angleton so so actually Ang- that's how
0: i discovered you is i was making a film not about JFK but about covert operations just from uh, from the korean war to about 2010 and so when i got into the 60s of course i had to cover the assassinations of both John and Jack or Jack and uh, Bobby <clears throat> And I was just telling a guy in a bar about it. And he said, well, do you know Michael Collins Piper? And I didn't <laughs> yet. And, uh, he said, and, he, and he said, "Oh, well, you should uh, definitely look into that. And I was done with the film. I was going to release it like two days later.
1: That's so, usually how it works. Yeah, yeah
0: that's, I was like, well, I can't really go back and tinker with this anymore. So I'll just uh, release the film, and then I'll interview Michael. <laughs> <But> once <laughs> okay. I got it, I got Final Judgment. I got the sixth edition. I had to get the e because i couldn't find it in print plus i'm in japan and i didn't want to wait yeah so uh then i read all that and i was like man and that it just dovetailed what i had been uh looking at anyway but i was i was happy to have come across most of it independently i had a big advantage though because i have i've always had the internet in it for most of my life you wrote this yeah. in the 80s but uh so i could go a lot faster but uh yeah it was a definite eye opener and i and i saw a lot of the things i was questioning and angleton to me was a a centerpiece of my own uh, hypothesis that i was making
1: yeah absolutely and until you until you really explore angleton i mean there's no question that angleton i mean you know the the whole history of angleton as i say and i'm not even just talking about the uh the, the the jfk assassination or his role with israel the whole story of angleton has yet to be told and uh uh... i i mean i somebody somebody needs to write that book uh... but uh... but and you know the the funny thing is i've known multiple people who have known angleton either fairly well or had peripheral links to him and uh... he was a pretty scary guy uh... you know we could get talking about angleton forever but but uh... but needless to say vis-a-vis uh the JFK assassination this thing with with E Howard Hunt now you know a few years ago uh there was supposedly a big confession of involvement in the JFK assassination by E Howard Hunt and you know a lot of people would would think that because I worked for the spotlight uh that that I would I would say hey well this proves that the spotlight was right or you know and that Mark Mark Lane was right and 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 our our defense against Hunt was right what in fact when in fact I should say uh personally I'm convinced that the so-called Hunt confession uh is really more of a uh uh it it's been conjured up by Hunt's one of Hunt's sons uh and and the quote unquote evidence that has been put forth is not really uh, evidence of that. I I, I will say that in my new book, False Flags, which is uh, incidentally available absolutely free in uh, e-book format uh, on the website of American Free Press at AmericanFreePress.net, I have a whole dissection of the the so-called Hunt confession. Uh, I do believe that Hunt and this is something that uh, a well, the lot big, of people, the big
0: red flag there. Just all the typical disinformation outlets just took that and ran with it as fast and, as they could.
1: You see, this is exactly what happened, and there's no question in my own mind that Hunt was in Dallas at least a day before the JFK assassination, that he was involved with people who were involved in the JFK assassination. That he was up to his eyeballs in activities that were connected to the jFK assassination, and if there was anybody alive at any time who probably did have a fairly good inside idea as to what happened, whether he knew why it happened, but he kind of had had I, it was e Howard hunt, but uh what has been called his confession uh, is really. I don't want to call it a hoax because that term hoax uh, has gained a new currency and has taken on a different meaning in recent, in a, in the last year. And that but- goes
0: back to what you were saying before about people afraid to dabble into conspiracy. The reason conspiracy is categorically as a topic just a really taboo thing is because of all these cuckoo you know, cockamamie people that talk about uh you know, no planes were in 9-11 or this shooting or that shooting. Nobody actually died and just going into crazy land. And, oh, uh, I mean, there are a lot of stupid conspiracies, but that doesn't mean all conspiracies are are wrong. But any, any covert operation that's ever been done is a conspiracy.
1: And, and you know, if, it's funny coming back to Angleton. His life was a walking catalog of conspiracies. I mean, he was funding, you know, through his he was tied up with uh, with the uh, Elements of organized crime. He was funding left-wing groups and right-wing groups uh, and manipulating elections. I mean, we're talking real hardcore conspiracies. Well, his
0: boss too, Dulles. Yeah, Dulles, was in, yeah, I Dulles mean, was in uh, mean, Operation Ajax and the uh, Suez Crisis.
1: Well, this is what you know. This is what uh, this is what intelligence agencies do. That's their their their. Uh, you know, they overthrow governments. They do assassinate people. They do. Uh, they 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 kill people, and uh, whether it's presidents or whether it's uh, whether it's uh, political dissidents, you know, this these are the kind of things that that do happen, and you can't get away with it, you know. And I, I, let me just tell you something here. This is not about the JFK assassination, but it's about Angleton, and and it's a very very interesting thing. And I would recommend that it, that you or anybody else who is listening look into this in Tom Mangold's biography of Angleton, which is entitled Cold Warrior. In in an end note at the back of the book he mentions that every day for years Angleton, who was a devoted collector and cultivator of orchids, which incidentally is a flower that uh, changes its coloration. It's a chameleon, which I think is interesting in and of itself. And when you consider the fact that Angleton was quite an intellectual that adds a certain flavor to the whole thing but every night after work leaving the cia angleton would stop and visit a guy in virginia near his home who had a greenhouse now and they would talk about orchids for several hours now mangold mentions this uh and i wish i had the book handy but from from my memory of it it, it it kind of just dismisses this as just a kind of an interesting thing that that Angleton was uh, so interested in orchids that he spent you know several hours meeting with a greenhouse keeper every night after coming home from the CIA. Well now, what's interesting is, as I recall, Mangold makes it clear, he doesn't even give the guy's name other than, uh, I think he calls him Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones. And he actually makes the point that uh, something to the effect that uh, not much is known about the guy. Now, you know, the thing about this is here's the number three man in the CIA who is stopping in every night after work and visiting somebody and chatting him up for two or three hours. And no one knows who the guy is, not even Mangold, his biographer. I mean, who was he meeting with? Was Mangold playing with his readers and pulling our leg? I don't think so. He was telling us something very serious. But, you know, I guess I'm enough of a conspiracy theorist to say, hey, what was really going on here? Who was this guy? Well, you know, I mentioned this little footnote in Mangold's book to uh, somebody. Well, I'll tell you who it was, Victor Marchetti. Former, former CIA official and critic of Israel. Uh, he and Mark Lane used to edit the newsletter New American View, and both of them have been good friends of mine through my association with uh, The Spotlight, predecessor to American Free Press. And I mentioned it to Victor, and Victor found it quite intriguing, to say the very least. He was not aware of that. And uh, as I say, I think that there's a story right there about Angleton that can be told and needs to be told? Uh, how is it that how is it that this guy who was apparently a, a key part of Angleton's life to the point that he occupied several hours of Angleton's life every night? You know, the average person who even has any inkling of intelligence intrigue would say, well, Angleton was being debriefed by his handler. You know, but this is just a just a passing end note in this book. So there's a lot more to Angleton, uh, a a lot of stories that have yet to be told, and uh, we don't know if they ever will be told because so much of it deals with Angleton's intrigues uh, in so many seemingly diverse areas that all eventually, in some respects, I think, uh, circle back to Israel and his work on behalf of Israel. You know, in Final Judgment, I have a picture of a monument to Angleton in Israel. That was actually taken for me by, uh, by a uh, black American who was a member of the uh, uh, the African, what they call themselves, the the African Hebrews, who tried to set up a colony in Israel years ago. And, of course, the Israelis didn't want them there. They were saying, hey, well, we're Jews. So we should be allowed to live in Israel, but of course Israel didn't want blacks living in Israel, even though they made a big show out of the uh, the acceptance of the uh, the uh, uh, the Ethiopian Jews who Have came you to seen Israel. Seen
0: in Blumenthal's film about the African migrants.
1: No, I haven't. But oh, you should. Uh, I, I mean, imagine.
0: it is it is just awful. I mean, the the level of just state ordained racism in Israel.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and it's and it's and you know you point that out to people and they're absolutely astounded. Well, these guys who uh this guy who took the picture was one of the early uh pioneers or I should say he was one of the the uh pioneers in the in the 70s and 80s of of American Jews who who wanted to set up uh uh their life and livelihood in Israel and they were they were discriminated against and uh And the Spotlight newspaper wrote about them, and that's how I got to know them. And when I found out about that uh, monument to Angleton, they took a series of pictures of that monument for me. And to the best of my knowledge, the picture that's published in Final Judgment, and which is now appearing in various places on the Internet, uh, that picture was the first ever picture of it, and it may well be the only actual original picture that has been published. But uh,
0: I think they named a forest after him.
1: And they have named a forest after him. And, uh, you know, uh, they also named a forest after John F. Kennedy, if I recall. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they, they do funny things, sometimes in your face. Hmm.
0: Well, let's get into some of the other motives uh, for I mean, if you want to solve a crime, it's always good to look at the means and the motives. You know, who had the power to do it, who had a reason to do it, and who had the power to cover it up. And I think most, if you read a lot of JFK books, it either comes down to the CIA did it, or as we've been saying, the Israelis, or the mob, and then you have overlap between all three groups. But just starting with Israel, we have the the nuclear motivation. Of course, they're trying to build them in Demona, and JFK is inspecting them and saying not to do it. But there are some other red lines they crossed. Can you get into those?
1: Well, there was just the one I referred to earlier, uh, Vis-a-vis... JFK's uh, uh, UN delegation, and and this is an interesting twist on the whole thing because, uh, as I pointed out there, the the JFK's general policy towards Israel and the Arab world was one of what I guess we could call reconciliation. He was opening up doors to uh, to Nasser, who was the secular powerhouse in the Arab world at the time. He was holding out uh, the possi- holding out for the possibility that the uh, israeli palestinian conflict could be resolved to the point even as we see that the u n delegation was pushing on this matter of the re- the right of return of of the uh, of the palestinian uh, muslims and christians so so there was this thing going on and what 's interesting is that it 's often forgotten who JFK's ambassador to the UN was. and He actually died then, Um, I can't remember the exact time frame upon his death, whether it was shortly before JFK or after JFK, but it was Adlai Stevenson. And while Adlai Stevenson is recalled as this iconic figure uh, who was supposedly worshipped by American Jews and he was a great friend of Israel, uh, John Bartlow Martin, who was a, a close, longtime associate of Stevenson has written a what can only be described as a mammoth, even epic and panoramic, and very detailed, quite massive two volume biography of Stevenson now, despite the fact that Stevenson was governor of Illinois, uh, you know and essentially a traditional liberal, and Illinois being a, uh, a political powerhouse. For uh, uh, American Jewish money and power, and really uh, a centerpiece of the rise of of the Jewish crime syndicate in America, as as Gus Russo has documented in his book Supermob, which if your your listeners haven't read that book, I recommend that they do read it. But Adley Stevenson, even in 1952 and in 1956, and in his period. As a diplomatic adviser to Kennedy, was constantly at odds with what we popularly know as the Jewish lobby in America today. So while you'll read the memoirs of Hollywood icons like Lauren Bacall and Shelley Winters, both of whom were uh, beauty queens uh, uh, of, of some politic of some uh, of, of some film stature. And certainly known for their for their political orientation, uh, their political involvement, and they both fancied themselves as uh, being as one with Adelie Stevenson. If you've read any of their writings, you also find in John Bartlow Martin's tempered and very detailed uh, uh, assessment of Adelie Stevenson's career that uh, he was somebody who today, if he were publicly taking positions, would probably be called an anti-Semite or a critic of Israel. And it's no coincidence that his son, who later served in the United States Senate from Illinois, also uh, later was denounced as as, you know, uh, less than supportive of Israel's demands. Uh, And he ultimately uh, was talking about cutting aid to Israel. He was calling for an investigation of the attack on the USS Liberty. Uh, The Apple didn't fall far from the tree. So so the point is that even aside from JFK's conflict with Israel over nuclear weapons, there was an overall tenor, an overall tone, an undercurrent, however you want to describe it, that, that the Kennedy administration was not exactly taking what would be a pro-Israel tone. And it's very interesting, if you look in I.F. Kennan's book, and that name is spelled K-E-N-A-N, and I've cited it in Final Judgment. I.F. Kennan wrote a book called Israel's Defense Line, and it was about his role as one of the Israeli lobbyists in Washington. You know, he founded he founded the original group that evolved into AIPAC. Uh, he referred to 1963 as the turbulent year, because on multiple fronts, as far as the the Jewish lobby, or as the Israeli lobby in Washington was concerned, JFK was not doing what they wanted. Uh, you know, then then you have to tie this in to um, the fact that these figures in the C there were figures in the CIA who were threatened by JFK's policies. Uh, he, was, he had been threatening to break up the CIA. There's still debate over exactly what JFK's policies would or would not be toward Vietnam. The popular argument on the part of JFK um, assassination researchers is that JFK would not have gotten involved in Vietnam as deeply as we did. I'm inclined. Uh, I I
0: got to disagree with that because now, he and McNamara had divvied up over $4 billion for TXF fighters and and had it. What they were planning to do is make sure that certain congressional districts districts got to build different parts of different planes because that's what Vietnam was for. I mean, it was just a place to to generate profits for uh, the military.
1: Now, you know, what I was just about to say was that that is an argument that are not the argument put forth by many of the JFK researchers is one that I always more or less uh, accepted. Uh, however, as the debate has gone by over the years, I've taken more of a, uh, I don't know if I would go as far as you go, but but I will say this much, that I, I would not dismiss your position as being wrong. I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of becoming a, uh, 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 agnostic on that issue because I focused more on the Middle East issue.
0: Well, you can but- see later with his brother, who was a lot like Obama, you know, was running as an anti-war candidate, but he wasn't at all. Um, but even, more concretely, even- when you're talking about the precursor to APAC, that was the American Zionist Council, and Bobby Kennedy, as the head, of, as the Attorney General for the Justice Department, had lit- and issued a 72-hour memorandum saying you are going to register these lobbies as foreign agents. And it was, of course, the next day they created AIPAC, just changed the name around, you know,
1: if if you look at that. And, you know, it's interesting if you look at that whole history of the period, uh, JFK, right after he was elected, uh, had a meeting with David Ben-Gurion in New York. And there was also other meetings he had with other uh, uh, Jewish leaders, and they basically were saying to him, uh, hey, we got you elected. We helped finance your campaign. Uh, we, you know, I'm I'm broadly paraphrasing here, but they were telling him essentially that uh, that they expected to do what he wanted. And Charles Bartlett, uh, J- one of JFK's best friends who was a journalist, uh, described uh, having a quiet walk and talk with JFK. And JFK said, "You know, we got to do something about these people." You know, he he was absolutely astounded that this foreign lobby group would be telling an American president-elect what he should or should not do, you know. And and in fact, and this is what, again, a lot of people have forgotten about this, there were extensive hearings conducted during the Kennedy administration, but they were Senate hearings all about the foreign lobbies that were conducted by J. William Fulbright. And these were extensive hearings that were were... Quite, uh, they were they were getting into this very subject area, uh, and and it's interesting because if you'll recall, J. William Fulbright was defeated for renomination to the U.S. Senate in Arkansas in 1974 uh, after he had made uh, some very uh, explosive remarks on uh, on national television, saying that uh, I think you know, and, and I'm paraphrasing again, but upwards of 75 percent of the uh, U.S. Senate is controlled by by Israel, and you see this is what this is what was really going on with those hearings that were being conducted by J. William Fulbright with the support of the Kennedy administration. They were getting into the nitty gritty of it, and you see the thing about it is uh, this is something that a lot of people are not really aware of because they don't always necessarily make the connections. But Israel Israel's influence had insinuated itself in many respects into a lot of the foreign lobbies that were operating in Washington that, that didn't seemingly have any connection to Israel uh and and the reason why is because uh israeli connected financial elements individuals and forces were immersing themselves and meshing themselves and embedding themselves if you will in a lot of the governments in latin america some of the right wing dictatorships in latin america like samosa uh in uh in uh, uh all, all around latin america uh there were there was a lot of intersection between the uh between of all things the sugar lobby as they called it and the israeli lobby um and in fact one of the people one of the key figures in this is somebody that uh that famed left wing uh and i call him that not as a derogatory way but i think that's how he'd be proud to call himself left wing jfk assassination researcher Peter Dale Scott has written about this guy named I, Irving Davidson. Uh, Irving Davidson was one of the key people targeted by the Fulbright hearings. He was a registered lobbyist for Israel. He was tied in with the sugar industry, with Samosa, Batista, Papa Doc. And you know, I knew, or I I, I know Irving Davidson. He's a very old man now. and. Uh, Evidently he's been taken out of circulation. <laughs> I just read this the other day, he was taken out of circulation uh because he was uh, by his daughter because Irv was uh was sometimes talking a little bit too much about what he knew. And uh and Irv said to me long long ago and I mentioned it in an earlier edition of Final Judgment referring to him as a colorful international businessman. Uh, but I, in more recently, in my book *False Flags*, I've named him quite specifically, and I've talked about this over the years in a variety of interviews. Irv Davidson, whom Peter Dale Scott described as kind of the man at the center of the coalitions against the Kennedys, uh, he read *Final Judgment*, and he said uh, he said to me one day I was standing in his, in his office at the Commerce Building in Washington before we were. Going to go to lunch, he said, I think that's pretty much what happened. And uh, you're not going to get a better endorsement for my thesis of Israeli centrality to this variety of power groups, ranging from organized crime to the American intelligence community to the Israelis to, you know, all sorts of other groups that have been peripherally involved. Because when you start looking, as I say, even at the question of the power lobbies in Washington, they all were in many respects tied into a very small group of people. Whether they were anti-Castro Cubans, whether they were CIA-connected mercenaries like uh, Frank Sturgis, uh, whether they were uh, longtime CIA assets such as Clay Shaw, who in turn were tied back to the Israelis, it was really a very small group of people. And you can't get away from the Israeli connection. People want to get away from it, but you can't. And uh, and you find, as I say, rather than one big happy family, I always say it's one one small, tightly knit family. And uh, but the one thing you're about the connection that you're not allowed to talk about is their Israeli connection. People will point out their CIA connections. People will point out their organized crime connections. Uh, people will say, "Oh my God, they once uh, had dinner with an anti-Castro Cuban leader." Uh, but when you start getting into the Israeli nitty-gritty of the whole thing, even to the point that Frank Sturgis, who is widely, widely denounced and perceived as a probable assassin or technician in the JFK assassination, he had he worked, even though he was not Jewish, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, I have it from several sources, uh, reliable sources, including sources who are publicly identified as having been close to Frank Sturgis, that he worked for the Mossad going back as far as 1948 and well into the 1970s. Uh, And this is a guy who has generally uh, been linked directly to the JFK assassination down to the idea that he was involved, if not as an assassin, which I don't believe he was an actual assassin, but that he was one of the quote-unquote mechanics in Dallas. Cuban intelligence concluded that he was actually the communications coordinator for at least one group of assassins. But you know what, Ryan, just as an aside here, I'm not going to sit here and tell you there are some people who will give you a complete list of everybody who fired a shot at JFK, and who they were working for. Uh and they will say, well this guy was working for Lyndon Johnson, and this assassin was working for the Mossad, and this assassin was working for the Dallas Police Department, and this assassin was working for this group and that group and yeah. they all played a part, you know. No, I don't pretend to know who the actual assassins were. And you know what? I don't believe in the end that that's as important as knowing why JFK was killed. It's just going to be
0: some scrub anyway. I mean, that's how how the CIA and the Mossad and any intelligence outfit works. Uh, You can see that today in Syria with Al-Nursa out there killing everybody. Nobody knows the names of those people. It's just a group, you know, and they're just, uh, or an Iran-Contra, you know, when they're getting the Contras to kill Santanises in Nicaragua. You don't need to know the name of the Contras pulling the triggers. What you need to know is how Israel and the United States are financing it with drug money and and illegal arms sales
1: absolutely thank you thank you thank you it it is so nice to hear a little bit of sanity every once in a while because you know i do
0: think i know a couple of the shooters but
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah it's it's quite possible you know what i'm saying you know uh i was supposed to host jerry patrick hemming in my home about 20 years ago and there's a lot of people who are absolutely convinced that jerry hemming was one of the assassins you know what i mean uh you know so so it's like the kind of thing Maybe, maybe not. But in the end, in the end, people get tied up in all the forensics. Uh, You know, and and I don't mean anything to insult the little old ladies who are listening, because I love little old ladies. But, but, you know, when I see little old ladies talking about how, you know, talking about whether the bullet hit JFK from the front or the back, or uh I
0: mean his brain flew out the back of his head and someone goes. Yeah, yeah,
1: or, or how the World Trade Center towers came down or I mean, you know, the thing about it is what we know is the final result. You know, we know that JFK died. We know that US foreign policy went through some serious changes. Uh we know that after after what we were told happened on nine eleven happened whether it did or did not happen as we were told we know we know one thing is not a hoax well that's a good
0: comparison actually because focusing just on the physical collapse of the building or focusing just on the bullet or the magic bullet or whatever doesn't tell you anything it tells you what didn't happen but it doesn't tell you what happened at all and it's really just a large path to nowhere
1: yeah and what we do know is that after 9-11 the united states was directed or redirected however you want to look at it into into foolish needless foreign intervention uh based on a on a variety of of misinformation and disinformation and downright propaganda designed to inflame the american people against the muslim world in general and against some specific targets in the middle east death to america
0: death to israel is what it said on the
1: Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, yes, so,
0: Allah's is great. We're evil Muslims.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and people still buy and, you know, so so that's the real issue here. I mean, I had people say that when I wrote uh, Final <laughs> Judgment that I should have gotten into discussing, you know, how many shots were fired, uh, how many assassins there were. Uh, you know, it really doesn't matter. Now, a lot of people get all hysterical and say, oh, yes, it does. Well, no, I don't think that it does. I think the fact that John F. Kennedy died is what counts. I think the fact that uh, something happened on September 11th involving uh, the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, and something happened over Pennsylvania. Now my friend Victor Thorne, you know, has written extensively on on the lies of 9-11. And I don't want to get into all this because it's a well, that's a large matter.
0: tangent. But I'll tell you what I'll forward you my nine eleven film. It's uh, I don't have any of the the kook stuff in it. Um, yeah, I think you'll well, really yeah. enjoy it.
1: All I and I will appreciate that because you know what has happened now is that uh, Victor's Victor's analysis of so much that that he put a lot of work into is now being essentially bulldozed by people who are saying that well. 9-11 was a hoax that there were no planes or there was you know there were holograms or all this kind of stuff
0: and those are the same idiots that say um jackie kennedy killed her uh, <laughs> killed well, her husband and
1: yeah i mean I, I know somebody personally who contends that john f kennedy collaborated with the vatican in a phony plot <laughs> to stage a fake assassination attempt and then he crawled in a secret compartment in the limousine where a fake body or a, a body was already placed yeah. and was I mean so you know I mean we're you know some of the listeners who are hearing this are saying, my God, this stuff is crazy, but this is how crazy it gets.
0: But it's on purpose.
1: Well, well that's, that's, that's sc- that
0: crazy stuff. It's Cullin's hell Pro.
1: That's the point. That's exactly right. And uh and you know the thing about it is as far as my own thesis is concerned The general thesis, I understand why people find it controversial because, you know, it's not fashionable to criticize Israel, and if you're suspected of anti-Semitism, whether you are anti-Semitic or not, uh, you know, there's so many people being, you know, in the old days they always said it was the right-wingers who were the hardcore anti-Semites. Well now every time I turn around I keep reading in Jewish publications that it's the progressives and the liberals. Who are the worst anti-Semites and who are the worst critics of israel so so I kind of feel sorry for all those old-fashioned old-fashioned liberals who loved Israel only who are finding out that now, guess what all the academics and all the progressives are coming out here and saying, "Hey, wait a minute, this Zionist enterprise, this wonderful little experiment in the Middle East, hasn't quite gone the way it was supposed to." And it's not fashionable to say that, but you know, uh, more and more, you know, it's it's amazing how many people who are coming around to it, um, uh, who who are beginning to understand it, and uh, and uh, I, uh, well, you know, I, as I say, just from from the standpoint of 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 what I have done, just vis-a-vis final judgment, I knew it was going to take a long time. For the thesis to set in. But you know, in, in some respects, you look at the change in the political climate from the first time that I, from when I first wrote the book, to where we are today in 2014, 20 years later. And Israel has unbeared its own self in its treatment of the Palestinians and its, uh, its open uh, defiance of the world in so many respects, you know, so that people now l- look at what I've written or what other people have written about other aspects of Israel and, and its intrigues, uh, and they see that uh, Israel is capable of doing a lot of terrible things. And, you know, you know what a lot of people don't realize, and it comes back to what I said earlier in talking about Israel's, uh, Israel's uh, sometimes subtle and unseen role in manipulating events and in Central and South America which of course came out to a certain degree with the Iran-Contra affair
0: well that's but, good oh hold on before I forget yeah, because earlier you were talking about the sugar lobby and its overlaps and that's sort of the with with the Israelis that's sort of the Banana Republic style method of exploitation that the CIA and the Mossad are very fond of and of course the more famous example would be the United Fruit Company which Dulles was on the board, uh, board of directors member of uh, and while he was still part of the CIA also. And also oh. in, in France, you saw the same thing with de Gaulle doing that with the French former colonies post-World War II. Absolutely. And the Israelis tried to assassinate him too. And they assassinated uh, the King of Jordan. So they do this
1: Absolutely. a lot. In fact, I'll tell you what, although I don't have the details on it, unfortunately I lost track of the person who had looked into it. It actually appears, and, and this is a... This is the kind of thing I don't want quoted on because uh, I don't have any documentation for it, but it makes sense in the context of what I learned in the course of writing and researching Final Judgment, part of which was a tip-off from to a source from former congressman Paul Finley, who directed me to a Frenchman uh, from very distinguished background. Um, uh, you know, I learned a lot about the French connection and how how a lot of the very same sources that were connected to the JFK assassination were intersecting with a lot of the same forces uh, involved in the plots against Charles de Gaulle. And to make a long story very short, it's entirely possible that Clay Shaw of New Orleans was more directly involved in in Zionist, Israeli, and CIA-connected plots against Charles de Gaulle than he was involved in, a, in the plot to kill John F. Kennedy, which is an interesting, interesting thesis that somebody somewhere, somehow, someday should explore. Because probably the material is there, buried in the archives, the French archives buried in the American archives, but people have never looked in that direction. Uh, and what's interesting about, you know, the famous book about the plots against Charles de Gaulle, the book is The Day of the Jackal. It, it was a novel based upon real events by Frederick Forsyth, or I don't know how he maybe pronounces it, Forsyth. But uh, that book. I don't think it was just an accident that he called it the Day of the Jackal, because among the groups that were plotting against Charles de Gaulle in league with the, the OAS, the Secret Army Organization in France, was the Jewish Anti-Communist League, the, uh, the acronym of which was JACL. So basically what I'm here to say. Uh, is that I think when uh, Frederick Forsyth wrote that book, he was telling us a little bit more than he was revealing you know when he chose the term jackal j a c k a l as the name of the the ostensible assassin or the assassin going after Charles de Gaulle, but yes, you find these kind of these kind of interesting connections um, going on uh, in a lot of areas that were intersecting at that time. And uh and again it it, it it's a, it's part of part of the reason why people either don't know about it or have never heard about it is because a lot of times it does go in the Israeli direction and that's an area that people really would rather not talk about. So it's uh you know it's it's in more ways than one in some of the most unexpected areas. And uh and it, and it makes it makes you know, as I say, and I said this in Final Judgment, that there must be 10 or 20 different areas that I touched on in the book that some enterprising researcher or researchers could take some aspect of the book of that I talk about and pursue it and come up with a, a book or books themselves, you know, and, and that's just one of them right there. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it it goes on and on and on. And, you know, it's funny because some of my critics have said that I put too much in the book. But, you know, the funny thing is the reason why I put so much in the book was because it was a, it was a book about an area that no one had ever explored before. And so I said to myself, you know, I'm just going to have to put everything in there that I come across that I... That I consider to have some merit, or or that is an area that maybe if I, that if I bring it up, maybe somebody else will pursue it. And see, that's all I can do. You know what I mean? I only have so much time in a day. Yeah. And right now, I have about three or four other books that I have either started, or 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 or, or, or you know, put put work together for them. And you know, I, I kind of almost would like to retire so to speak, from the JFK assassination, you know, because uh, I, I almost feel like I've said everything that I can say about the topic, if you know what I mean.
0: I know, but it's different mediums, you know, there are some people who they just don't read books, but they will listen yeah. to somebody, you know. But uh, Jackal's also uh, been a nickname for CIA hitmen uh, for a long time, and if people want to do want to dig into the French angle, they should look up Jacques Foucault uh, F O C C A R T is his last name. He's the one that really implemented the neo policy, and it, especially in Algeria, it really ticked the Israelis off. But uh, that's a whole I, other avenue. But I, I wanted to ask you about Jack. Ruby. I know
1: that name. I know that name, and I know that you're right. The specifics of it escape me, but you're absolutely right. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's worth looking into. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'm gonna have another guest on just to talk about that anyway. So, but uh, with Jack Rubenstein uh, killing Oswald. Uh, he was not, they, they try and he tried to say that uh, <clears throat> he never met him before. We know that wasn't true. But if you look at the uh, Warren Commission testimony, which was as horrible as it was, he starts saying some really strange things that, you know, if, if the truth were to come forward, uh, my people, he keeps saying, my, I, I'm afraid of what would happen to my people, he says over and over again,
1: which yeah. I always thought was odd. Yeah, now there's another perfect example. Uh, uh, this this issue of Jack Ruby, uh, uh, Jack Ruby, and I again these are these things that I didn't know even when I was working on the first edition, second edition of Final Judgment. Yeah, he had ties to Lansky as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Jack Ruby was not in "quote unquote" the Mafia. Jack Ruby was a part of the Jewish crime syndicate, and to the point, to the point that uh, Al was Zanitz who was a public relations man. Uh, this gets kind of complicated here, but Al was tied up with the Jewish crime syndicate in Arizona. And Al was was, and, and when I refer to the Jewish crime syndicate, I'm referring to Lansky and the Bronfmans and the political forces. Hold on, before they, you
0: get going, let me explain yeah. something to people. Um, okay, there is organized crime in in any country. You have uh, people that just find a niche, you know, gambling or or drugs or whatever, and they make money off of it. But what you have to understand is that just like a lot of the um, criminal elements in other countries that get sponsored by the United States, whether it's the Mujahideen or the Yakuza in Japan through Lockheed Martin or Jundallah or MEK or Al Nusra or a lot of these Salafi groups that get sponsored by Saudi Arabia. There are what we call privateers where it's organized crime, but they're not independent. They have covert state sponsorship. And so, whereas the Italian Sicilian mafia in the United States may have been what they were, the Jewish syndicate is getting Israeli sponsorship on the side. So, they have a major advantage over other criminals because they're getting uh, help from outside.
1: And that's what yeah, we're and, about. and you know what's kind of interesting is that if you go back to the early history, of uh, the founding of Israel and the running of guns to uh, the various Jewish terrorist groups uh, that ultimately uh, came together to form the government of Israel. Uh, a lot of that came from Jewish criminal elements in the United States. Yeah.
0: Charles Winters.
1: And, 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 and I would recommend people read the book The Money and the Power by Roger Morris, who uh is uh, actually he and his his uh wife at the time. Uh she was a co-author and her name escapes me, but the book The Money and the Power is it's it's primarily a history of Las Vegas. But it's more so than that. It makes it very very clear that uh and, and right along the lines of this book I mentioned earlier by Gus Russo, uh Supermob, it makes it very very clear and they pull no punches. In pointing out that it was it was the Jewish elements around Meyer Lansky in the crime syndicate who were not only uh, pivotal to the establishment of Las Vegas, but at almost the same time frame were pivotal to the establishment of the state of Israel, and uh, and 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 these were elements that were tied very intimately to. Um, to political elements inside the democratic party uh... political machines throughout the united states uh... so so there's a whole history of this that's been kind of uh... set aside uh... But, uh what's interesting is you actually find as roger morris who is a former officer on the national security council under richard nixon and he uh... he resigned o- over, uh over uh US policies uh toward toward Vietnam as i recall uh Roger Morris is no uh he's no professional conspiracy theorist or or extremist i mean he's uh, he's a respected author who's gotten into a, a lot of areas that a lot of people have uh, hesitated to delve but but Roger Morris uh points out that in the period of the 1970s when the uh, when Howard Hughes was ostensibly coming in and buying control of the, of the casinos in Las Vegas from organized crime elements, what was actually happening was that CIA-connected individuals who had taken control of Howard Hughes' empire and his finances were actually cutting these bizarre behind-the-scenes deals with the crime syndicate to allow them to continue to run the casinos. Well, Howard Hughes was ostensibly the owner, and the casinos were actually being used as a mechanism, or they were being used as a vehicle for laundering black operations money for the CIA, even as the crime syndicate was embezzling money, or not embezzling money, but, but, uh, but, but, but pocketing illegal proceeds out of the hands of the IRS. So this is, from again, from Roger Morris writing about this and uh, and so you find this unusual intersection again between the Jewish elements in the crime syndicate Israel's Mossad and 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 in his book the money and the power uh, uh what's his name Roger Morris pulls no punches in in divining and 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 referencing Israeli connections to a lot of the intrigues in Chicago and and Las Vegas not to mention again the CIA here. Um, so so that's, that's why even, uh, even Sam Giancana's uh, famous mafia chief, so-called of Chicago, uh, in his book, not Double Cross, but in his follow-up book, Double Deal, um, Sam Giancana, named after the, his uncle, who was a famous mafia figure, points out that the real head of organized crime in Chicago for many years was a was a partner of Meyer Lansky's named Hyman Larner. And Hyman Larner uh and he lays this out in the book that Hyman Larner had deals with the Mossad. He had deals with the Shah of Iran. And of course the Shah of Iran was set up in power by 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 the United States in conjunction with uh with uh with uh, uh, Israeli elements and with uh with with jewish elements in the middle east and with british intelligence so you, again you find this unusual intersection of these of these forces in ways that you would never expect and and this again is all part of this uh, this hidden underbelly this hidden history that that does in fact connect back to to israel in in the most in the damnedest ways whether it involves uh, the business in Algeria that we referenced earlier and which you're gonna be talking about with your guests. And I, I will be looking forward to hearing that interview. Uh because I found out things just in my own basic research that, that opened up avenues that I never knew I was gonna to have to journey. It's pretty so, fascinating. Uh, yes, it is, absolutely. So there's so much in so many areas that 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 it's kinda of like if you look at the JFK assassination is like the center of a big spider web. You know, that goes in so many different areas. But but like I say, I really think, I really think, you know, when you when you look at where we are today when we when we're fighting these wars, I mean, we we invaded Iraq because of nuclear weapons of mass destruction. We're being told we need to destroy the Islamic Republic of Iran because of nuclear weapons of mass destruction. I mean uh that alone we we see the daily the daily deluge of sewage upon the people uh, upon the Palestinian people by the Israelis. Uh these are all things that could have been resolved if JFK had lived and had been able to pursue the policies that he that he was making the noises about and which his people at the United Nations were making noises about. Not to and mention
0: three billion dollars in aid every year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh it, these these kind of things, uh they, they 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 overlap, they intersect, and uh uh it just it's a, it's a never ending never ending cycle of this. And right. and you know people people uh just don't understand well, which is logical. They don't they don't understand, you know, people seem to especially in this internet age where we have this constant communication uh it wasn't always like this and 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 they don't realize that so many of the things that have happened in the past still reverberate today people really have gotten away from understanding that you know entire
0: middle east policy was just did a 180 under johnson i mean lennon johnson was sleeping with an Aragon terrorist matilda Krim, on the day that the 1967 war broke out and he he said he wanted the uss liberty He said i want the damn ship on the bottom of the ocean it was clearly clearly done together but the, all the the aid and everything it's all started uh since kennedy was killed and robert kennedy as well i mean, he was killed by a palestinian allegedly uh, he was going after Hoffa and a lot of these mob guys at the same time the CIA was actually hiring them because they had actually hired Giaconta, as you talked about, and some of his underlings. Hoffa was the underboss for, for Sam. Uh, so at the same time the CIA is working with the mob, uh, the Justice Department is trying to prosecute him.
1: Yeah, see, exactly. And, and see, there were a lot of—that's another thing, too. Even JFK himself, and in my book, False Flags— I've I've delved into this in more detail but you know in the bigger picture in the bigger picture whatever did or did not happen specifically in Dallas is really irrelevant to what the ultimate result was and that was the death of John F Kennedy and the impact that it had but but if people if people want to get into some of what I pursue they can read as I say that's what I love to be able to say both final judgment and false flags are ab- available absolutely free on the internet right now. They can go to the American Free Press website, you know, and uh and they can they can read it all for themselves. So I'm not here I'm not here hawking books as I say. I'm here hawking ideas, you know, and and what I hope are ideas that, that do in fact a- accurately represent historical truth which which I do believe they do and I've said this time and again that when I was writing Final Judgment, at first I thought, well, maybe I i, I, I knew that I, I in the initial weeks of my research, I kind of was inclined to believe that I actually had enough material for a book. And then as as a couple months went by or weeks went by, I said, oh, my God, I do have enough here for a book. But I kept having this terrible fear. And when you think you have a book and you're writing it, and all of a sudden you have this terrible fear that maybe you're going to come across something that's going to refute your thesis in your own mind. I'm saying, "Oh my god, what am I going to do? Well, I can't publish the book because if I've come across this, somebody else is going to come across it." And you know, people can only take my word on this. I mean, but but I'm I'm expressing my word as honestly as I can that I never found anything when I was writing the book or even since the book has been published that has led me to believe that I was ever off the mark on the basic thesis, and that that, that my basic thesis is correct, that the Israeli connection—and, uh, you know, I go back and forth on this in my own mind. It just It has
0: the most evidence, and it makes the most sense, especially after the fact, when you look at the LBJ administration and what happened and what a Zionist he was— and you see all of that, and it sort of starts canceling out. Well, it wasn't the Cubans. They really had nothing to gain by Johnson becoming president, and he didn't go after them. It wasn't the you start you can move along, and you can see that mainly it was just uh, uh, Angleton and Dulles who are both Zionists to, to the, the highest extreme, and the Israeli Mossad, they had the most to gain, and they did gain the most.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, that's funny you say that, because I remember kind of making an offhand remark to somebody one time, that if I had never written anything more than the first couple chapters of Final Judgment... Now, I've added a lot of introductory material, but, but as far as the actual chapters of the book itself, if I had only written like what, are, what basically constitute, I think, chapters two and three, I don't even remember, because I have the book in front of me, but I don't want to flip through it, waste of time. The but, second one was
0: mostly on uh, Kennedy's father.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah so was I think it was, it probably, was two chapters... Two chapters in the book, Uh, the first one was on JFK's policies, and then the second one was a chapter on LBJ's policies. If I had written nothing more than that, that alone would stand as a catalog of material about JFK's foreign policy and JFK and and LBJ's foreign policy vis-à-vis Israel that nobody knew about. In fact, I I remember, and this is interesting. And people can look at this for themselves, if there's anybody out there who doubts what we're talking about. If you look at all of the books that were published up until probably roughly the year 2000 or more about, about JFK's foreign policy, there is little, if any, reference to his Middle East policy. Uh, and it's certainly not in the books about the JFK assassination. But I'm talking about the books that are written about JFK. Now, there were a handful of books about U.S. Middle East policy that, in fact, talked about JFK's policy towards, excuse me, <clears throat> towards Israel. And those were the books by by uh, Stephen Green, uh, Seymour Hirsch, the book The Samson Option, uh, Andrew and Leslie Coburn's book dangerous liaison. And you know, it's funny, I had read all those books in the 1980s when they came out. And as I say, I'd actually uh, interviewed in person, sitting at a table, Stephen Green, and had also uh, been introduced to him at another function uh, that, that my own publisher sponsored. And so I was aware of all this, but I didn't put it in the context until uh, until about 1992 or 1993, after Mark Lane's book Plausible Denial came out, and after Oliver Stone's film JFK came out. It was like this stuff that I had known for almost ten years. uh, You know, I wasn't running around looking for proof of a Jewish plot to kill JFK. It was just something that, in pulling books down off the shelf one day, you know, I, I, I remembered some of these odd little details. That I had come across over the years. And and one evening, and I I tell this story many times because it's absolutely true, one evening I was sitting in my apartment, and I just happened to be smoking a cigar, and I poured myself a tumbler full of Jack Daniels. And I was flipping through a book on the JFK assassination, and I found this odd reference uh, from an old uh, that had been around for a long, long time about Somebody quoting uh, an FBI document saying that the the Jews promised they were going to take care of JFK, and then I started thinking about that whole thing, and then I started, and then I started thinking about JFK's foreign policy, and I pulled a couple books, I scribbled a few notes down on a piece of paper, and I, have, I in those days, 20 years ago, I had a substantial library, personal library, and I pulled down 10 or 15 books based upon five or ten things scribbled on a piece of paper that I'd torn out of the back of an old scrapbook. And uh, and all of a sudden I started finding things that I had read before, many, many years before, that started presenting a new picture of the JFK assassination. And As I've said in Final Judgment and hundreds of times in discussions, what it all came down to from my own perception, my own perspective was that you look at the standard image of the jfk assassination as kind of a very colorful jigsaw puzzle with a lot of interesting players and different groups on the front all you know tripping over one another you know uh, you know you see all these different faces of mafia leaders and cuban leaders castro and anti-castro cubans and well, only so to a
0: degree with the mafia, because it'll always go to, like, Carlos Marcello, or,
1: but not, it doesn't
0: go up to Lansky, usually. <laughs>
1: exactly. But you look on the back of that jigsaw puzzle, and the one thing that you very clearly see is the hidden picture on the other side, and that's one very clear picture of the Israeli flag. And you see, that's where the thing that ties it all together in so many areas. You bring up these, these organized crime figures— uh, you know, I talked earlier about uh, Sam Giancana of Chicago. Well, yeah, Sam Giancana may indeed have had some role in some aspect of the JFK assassination, but we find, according to his own nephew, that the real boss was Hyman Larner. You look at the works of uh, of, uh, of respected crime writer Hank Messick, and Hank Messick makes it very, very clear uh that Carlos Marcelo, as well as Santo Traficante, were all basically underlings in many respects, in, in, in some direct respects, of Meyer Lansky.
0: Well, I have to explain who these people are real quick. So, yeah, Marcelo, he's the, he was the Don in New Orleans, Traficante for Tampa, Florida. And it was Lansky that uh, paid his bail when he was in Cuba. He's the one that got Traficante out of jail.
1: Well, you know, in fact, Carlos Marcelo. Was not even of Sicilian descent per se, and it's interesting when 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 Meyer Lansky and his associates wanted to take over the rackets in New Orleans, they forced out the sicilian american quote unquote mafia boss and put Carlos Marcelo in charge of the rackets there, which is is an interesting story in and of itself and and so there's a lot of this you know that that people want to say oh the mafia killed JFK but all the mafia people who are who are most prominently targeted are are consistently found by the serious non-biased researchers who want to who who frankly uh, you know there's a lot of these researchers who will portray the mafia or the organized crime linked to the Kennedy assassination as some sort of italian thing When in fact, these guys with Italian names who are often linked to the assassination were actually, uh, really, in many respects, lieutenants of Meyer Lansky, who was the real head of of organized crime. And it's kind of funny. He was a New York
0: boss with Lucky Luciano, but, you know, he had been expelled. And Traficante and Lansky were in Cuba when Batista fell, and they had to flee together to go back to Florida.
1: Well,. You know what's really funny, I saw one of the critics of Final Judgment uh, trying to uh, refute the book by going into the aspect of Meyer Lansky and saying, what proof does Piper have that that Meyer Lansky was the top man in organized crime? And he goes on to say, what about names like Lucky Luciano? What about names (laughs) like Frank Costello? Well, you know, I'm sorry to tell you. Costello uh, was
0: an underboss, and Lu- well, Lucky Luciano was uh, partners with Lansky. They're the ones that you know, created La Casa Nostra.
1: In, in Lucky Luciano's own public, posthumously published memoirs, he says flat out, my old friend Meyer took over everything. He was my Brutus. So, so you know, I mean, it's not, it's not something conjured up in the anti-Semitic uh, attic of Michael Collins Piper's
0: well it was it was uh, Lansky and Bugsy that killed the two prior bosses which is what put luciana in charge anyway
1: yeah exactly paper. and 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 it's pretty clear for anyone who's really looked at it that that uh Meyer Lansky actually re- this is this is my opinion but it's um I think it's pretty clear if you look at the whole history of it uh and this is you know irrelevant to the Kennedy assassination, but it's my opinion, and I think serious people who have some understanding of the whole history of the period would agree that a good case can be made, that Tom Dewey, the famed prosecutor, I mean, he was in the pocket of the Lansky syndicate. He's the guy who put Lucky Luciano in jail in the first place and made it possible for Meyer Lansky.
0: Uh, he was set up on those prostitution charges.
1: Exactly. Lan- Luciano was set up on the prostitution charges. And if you look at the whole setup, and the, the specifics of it escape me, I haven't read it about it in 15 or 20 years, probably 15 years on the last occasion. But uh, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that he was set up and that there was a deliberate setup to get him out of the way, and that it was coming... From right within the mob, and who was it within the mob who benefited? But Meyer Lansky.
0: Well, also the New York mob is controlling those ports supposedly for defense, and uh, they can maintain control post World War II. And what which ports were they using to ship all that uranium to Israel? Same place.
1: There's a okay. Now that's another thing too. You know, oh, about Jack Ruby. Yeah, Jack Ruby, uh, and a lot of the the Jewish. Wealthy Jewish financial interests in the city of Dallas have a long time connection. The Bronfman family, I mean, it was Bronfman family distri- liquor distributors who were key players in the, what's known as the Dallas Citizens Council. Well, they married into the McCain family, too. And yes, and I mean, that's where the John McCain connection whose comes in. Cover up the USS Wh- whose father
0: helped cover up the USS Liberty.
1: Whose father helped cover up the USS Liberty. That's right. So, so uh, according to uh, this Arizona source, Al Zanitz, uh, and he told uh, Brian Downing Quig, who is a pretty well-known and respected researcher out in Arizona, uh, who incidentally died after he was run over. A lot of people think it was a legitimate accident, but, but Brian Downing Quig cited Al Zanitz, who who knew of the in, inside deal on the Bronfman connections. Al Zanitz said flat out, that uh, that Jack Ruby was on the Bronfman family payroll. And it's interesting because some of these, you keep hearing from some of the, uh, the, the liberal JFK researchers. They talk about the, the right-wing connections in Dallas. Well, one of the guys who was right there, uh, some say literally, I've heard, in bed with Marina Oswald, uh, one of the guys who was handling Marina Oswald, after the, the widow of Lee Harvey Oswald, this was a guy named Jack Crichton, C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N, and everybody says, oh, well, Jack Crichton was a right-wing conservative uh, who was uh, tied into the military-industrial complex, which is all very true, but Jack Crichton was also one of the directors of a very secretive trust called the Empire Trust that handled the financial affairs of the Bronfman family. And, of course, this goes back again to Israel, to the crime syndicate, you know, and these are the kind of things that people don't want to touch. And this went right to the heart of Dallas, Texas. So the image of Dallas has always been presented, you know, by Hollywood as J.R. Ewing and 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 right wing oil interests. The Bronfman family were were had bought control of Texas Pacific Oil Company in nineteen sixty three. So the Bronfmans themselves uh were were Texas oil barons. You know, but the people who want to blame the Texas oil barons for the Kennedy assassination don't want to talk about the fact that the Bronfman's were Texas oil barons, you know. And then the people that want to talk about the military-industrial complex being behind the JFK assassination, they point out General Dynamics. Well, you know what? General Dynamics was largely owned by the Crown family of Chicago who were products of the old-line Jewish crime syndicate going back to Prohibition and even before then. And they were likewise and remain probably to this day Uh, People who have been actually bankrolling uh, Israel's nuclear weapons program.
0: But actually, Kennedy chose General Dynamics over Boeing, uh, and gave them uh, tens of millions of dollars for an inferior type of plane. So, I mean, he had been a a friend of General Dynamics anyway.
1: Yeah. See, this is the thing. What people people kind of uh, a lot of people tend to uh, uh, they get very hagiographic about John F. Kennedy and present him as this flawless leader who was struck down well jfk was not flawless uh he 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 was a politician first and foremost he cut deals and collaborated with a lot of un- unsor- you know unsavory elements to get where he did get you know and that's the political game you know so so i've always been hesitant to paint JFK as a saint. But I've always found it interesting that the mass media, though, has gone out of its way uh, since his death to paint him as a sinner. And, you know, I've always been told by people that the mass media in America has always lionized the Kennedy family. And, you know, I say to that, well, if that's the case, why do we know about Chappaquiddick? Why do we know about John F. Kennedy's affairs? Why do we know about uh, old man Kennedy's bootlegging? Why do we know all of these things? I don't think, I don't think everything is necessarily as black and white as a lot of people would like to make it. You know, I think there are a lot of nuances that have to be acknowledged. You know, and and a lot of the people. Uh, yeah,
0: he was mediocre, but he gets. Unfairly romanticized or demonized. Exactly. You know, nobody really just looks at. Well, he did some good things. He did some bad things.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it's a it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. You know. I. You know. And and uh, and you know that's uh, that's one of the pitfalls of getting involved in a in an area like that. But uh, but you know it's uh, on the whole. On the whole, I. You know. Hell, I when I was a kid, I didn't like the Kennedys. Just kind of you know when I was like eight years old, I remember being a critic of the Kennedys, you know a couple years after the j f k assassination. Now, I was kind of advanced politically for a little kid, you know, probably to the point of being weird. I was probably the only kid in my class in third grade who had any political ideas at all but 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 you know uh, in you know as time has gone by uh you know i can I can look at the Kennedys. Uh, Bobby and Jack and all the other ones uh, in a, I think, as realistic a point of view as possible. You know, uh, and recognizing, uh, especially having gotten involved in this JFK thing, that, that as much as we, just talking earlier as we were about the whole idea of JFK and Vietnam, you know, I can realize that in that area, In that area, there is room for very serious argument and discussion, but the one thing I do know about is that as far as the Middle East issue is concerned, it is black and white. It is very black and white in that area. There is no room for argument. I mean, what we had was what we had, 180-degree turnabout, unquestionably. You know, and uh, and see, that is the area, that's the area where it's, for a variety of reasons, people choose to ignore it. It's more comfortable. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. But I can tell you, I can tell you, and again, I hate to be cryptic, but, you know, I, 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 I'm always in a position where I have to appreciate the very quiet support that I've gotten from different people. Unexpected people, but I, but I what I can tell you is that there have been some very interesting people uh, who are identified with the JFK issue uh, or involved with other aspects of public affairs vis-a-vis Israel and this whole horrible situation that we're involved in. I have had a lot of people who have said to me, "I think you're right," or, or uh, they have recommended uh, final judgment to to some very serious people, Uh, and as I've said, including members of the Kennedy family and uh, uh, and some other well-known people. So, so you know, I kind of, I you know, it's it's kind of painful and not painful. It's kind of uh awkward to talk about it because, you know, I don't want other people to have to deal with my baggage. But I have that uh personal satisfaction of knowing that there are a lot of people who have talked about the book and about the thesis. You know, and as I say, I mean I you know, I can take it from a you know, a personal badge of honor, but like I say, it's much bigger than me. You know. If I had, you know, And if I hadn't written the book, somebody else would have eventually written it. And, you know, when I first was going to write the book, I was actually thinking about not putting my name on it, because I figured that when the book was ultimately published anyway, that people would say, oh, Mike Piper wrote this book, and he knows so-and-so, and he's connected with this organization and that organization. And then I said to myself, well, if I'm going to defend the book, I have to be publicly associated with it. But in some respects, I wish somebody else without my political baggage would have written the book. And I will tell you that I have. It's guilt by
0: association. I mean, the evidence is the evidence. It doesn't matter who's saying it or
1: not. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I'll tell you what, I have an idea. And again, this is just an idea, a theory, an opinion that Seymour Hirsch who, of course, is Jewish, who's been a very forthright and articulate critic of Israel, who's blown the whistle on a lot of Israeli bullshit, for want of a better way of putting it, uh, who has raised some interesting questions about 9-11, which a lot of people are not aware of, but which he has and has from the beginning. It is my opinion, based upon some passing reference that I read years ago, that Seymour Hersh may have been on the verge of writing a book making a possible Israeli connection to the assassination, but then I preempted him by putting my own book out. Now again, that's, a, that's, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Seymour Hersh would probably never admit to it, even if it were the case. But that's my opinion, based upon, based upon some interesting things that I read, and put into context with other things of which I was aware, and uh, and again, you know, it's neither here nor there because uh, that that uh, opinion will not even get you a cup of coffee, or even a free copy of Final Judgment in ebook format on the internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, but that's my opinion. You know, and uh, but like I say, like I say, the the idea is out there, and if I have any satisfaction, I know now that the internet, with all its warts, with all its negative consequences, I know that the idea is out there, and assuming the internet uh, uh, survives the latest latest apocalyptic event that takes place, which somebody will probably say is a hoax, uh-huh. I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that the thesis of Israeli involvement in the Kennedy assassination is going to be floating around for a long, long time. And in the end, we're probably going to learn a lot more. From let me Samantha. debunk uh,
0: Let me debunk a couple of the counterpoints you brought up, because one of the typical conspiracy theories about JFK is, oh, they killed him, uh, the military industrial complex killed him because they wanted to stay in Vietnam. Or there's one that said, oh, the Federal Reserve killed him because... Kennedy was going to make his own currency, or uh, things like this, or or the Texas oil uh, got rid of him because they had close ties to Johnson. Those are some of the theories that go out there. Um, Kennedy was not going to get out of Vietnam, and I I implore people to look up what he and McNamara and Arthur Goldberg, who was the labor secretary for Kennedy, were doing, uh, putting together a $6.5 billion spending package on military goods and of course they wanted to stay in nam kennedy started the war in vietnam uh as for the oil you know it was uh richard b anderson and his ticket uh fiasco where they were forcing uh coastal oil uh ports to have to buy these uh allotment tickets this is sort of like the carbon credits thing uh from they would get a certain amount that they could use to get foreign oil well what they started doing is just buying the tickets from the inland companies who aren't importing foreign oil anyway and so that the inland texas oil people were making money off of everyone else uh, without having to do anything and that was all under uh, john it was all under kennedy it was started with eisenhower but he kept it and didn't change it so he was and not if you think them. of
1: it if you think of it it's good politically
0: well yeah it yeah, was exactly. plus plus you know he barely beat nixon so this is his reasoning is that he wanted to build uh, all these things in different districts so that he could get more votes for re-election uh, and he, and Johnson was his vice president. So he is throwing a bone there and he wants to do that in Texas. And then with the federal reserve thing, I mean, his executive order. Okay. You talk about one, 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 zero. It did not, um, do what people think it did. First of all, it passed. Johnson didn't change it. It stayed on the books until the 1980s. And all it did was limit who could issue silver certificates. None of which mattered anyway, because they got off the whole system later. Um, that had absolutely nothing to do with why he was killed that executive order passed and it did not create its own currency and, it, and he did not uh, try to get rid of the federal reserve that's ridiculous he was absolutely pro-fed his whole family is
1: you know it's interesting uh my my colleague john tiffany uh years ago researched that and he found out that that executive order was actually uh no i i i, I well let me put it this way there has been in operation in the United States since something like going back to the 1880s, and this is off the top of my head, a requirement that a certain number of the famous U.S. notes uh, would go into the, to the national economy. This is just something that happened by law every few years. But people picked up on this and said, aha, US no- JFK released U.S. notes. Well, you know, now the legend is that as soon as Johnson came in, the the U.S. notes were canceled. Well, in fact, after Johnson became president, U.S. notes were released into the economy. And one of my friends, one of my personal friends, who is a longtime critic of the Federal Reserve, he's no agent of the Federal Reserve, he actually has in his possession U.S. notes that were released into the economy in like 1969, hundred-dollar bill specifically. And I reproduced a picture of this in Final Judgment. And you know, so many people were upset by that. And they were saying, oh, well, that, that, that has to be a counterfeit, somebody must have counterfeited that. But you know, you go to any currency dealer on the internet today, and you can get certifiable real live U.S. notes. That were issued into the american economy under the johnson administration well even so, bill
0: yeah. still the man that made money masters and he has been the most anti-fed a human alive has admitted <laughs> how ridiculous the he got killed <clears for throat> going after the fed narrative is it's just oh, this just another you know kosher path to nowhere
1: oh yeah i mean and i i was i mean i personally was attacked by so many of these people uh for for daring to even say that uh, say that now you know you know I can tell you though my my late friend DeWest West Hooker
0: well it's another Jonestown uh, narrative that's why
1: yeah, well that's right that's right yeah it, thank you yeah it's a Jonestown narrative that's whatever
0: right. Melonhead says the followers you know chant
1: <laughs> I'm I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> But you right. I was
0: trying not to the whole time, <laughs> yeah, but, especially yeah, when you I, brought I, up nine eleven because he's been the biggest uh yeah. shit in the punch bowl ever for nine eleven.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have a lot of yeah I have a lot of strong views about that that person and and what he does or does not do, and uh, and it's kind of funny because my criticisms of that person, his followers refute. My criticisms by refuting things that I have never said about
0: them. But but, but <laughs> Illuminati, <laughs>
1: <laughs> y'all going to FEMA death I, camps? <laughs> buy my buy my video, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so you know, but but that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. But uh, you know, and now talk. Okay, let's talk about the JFK assassination for a moment. And and Alex Jones. Let's be let's be direct about this. A few years ago, uh, Alex was really promoting this uh, this HL or HL Hunt uh, E Howard Hunt confession. But prior to that, prior to that, he was promoting a book very loudly
0: the and proudly,
1: promoting a book uh, by Barr McClellan uh. called Blood, Money, and Power, which purported to say that uh, Lyndon Johnson was the chief. Mastermind of the JFK assassination. Well, you know, you know. Okay, I read the book. The book is is a piece of garbage. But he was right behind people, them
0: when they were shooting.
1: <laughs> what what most people? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What most people don't realize, most people who have listened to Alex Jones repeat this story. What they don't know is that that book also actually says that Lee Harvey Oswald was in fact one of the JFK assassins now most people who who don't believe in the official government story of the of the JFK assassination you know believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was an innocent patsy you know uh, a lot of us myself included don't even believe he was on the 6th floor i believe frankly that he was on the street in front of the Texas School Book Depository at the time of the assassination that happens to be my personal belief but the point is when alex jones was promoting well, he didn't this,
0: have any nitrates on him so he hadn't fired any yeah
1: weapons. there are there again you see all these little details you know but but alex jones was promoting a book that claimed that lee harvey oswald was one of the assassins and you know and you know that's another thing that has gone unnoticed and you know it's not even maybe in some respects worth going into these details but the the devil is in the details. And the fact is that the official E. Howard Hunt confession, as promoted, as prom- and, and Alex Jones was promoting it, he was pr- perhaps one of the primary promoters of it, if you look into the various uh, quote-unquote pieces of evidence that, that E. Howard Hunt's son has put forth, one of the things that E. Howard Hunt's son claims is that E. Howard Hunt said that Lee Harvey Oswald was one of the assassins in Dallas. So, so uh, you know, all I ask Alex Jones in this case to do, Alex Jones who has vehemently denounced me for mentioning Israel and, uh, and gone hysterical because I've criticized him for criticizing me, uh, Alex Jones has been lending his considerable name and popularity, which is far more widely reaching than any that I will ever have or can expect to have, he's been lending credibility to this claim that Lee Harvey Oswald was actually one of the assassins. And I'm sure that was... This
0: guy blamed the Oklahoma City bombing on a (laughs) rock.
1: There you go. Okay. Oh, yeah, I mean, that whole... uh, Yes, exactly, that whole... Yeah, they were. They, they that was a yeah And video absolutely.
0: games control your mind, and Y two K is going to kill us all, and juice boxes make you gay, and your light bulbs are going to kill you with Google flash rates. This is the kind of crap that comes from Jonestown.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. The, the whole, the whole, the whole process is that the whole idea. And all
0: Hollywood's going to New Zealand to live in bunkers.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the whole idea is that things are hopeless, that yeah, we're well, totally be surrounded. Yourselves. Everybody is an alien. They're all pod people. You're
0: going to a FEMA you, camp.
1: Yeah, you can't win. You're gonna. They're they're gonna put you in train cars, and ship you to FEMA camps and kill you. No, they're gonna I release a bio
0: and wipe out eighty percent of the population.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no way. There's no way you can win. And he calls them the elite,
0: and that word has gotten around everywhere. Like they're not elite. There's nothing elite about counterfeiting money. You know, there's nothing. It doesn't take extra intelligence or anything to print more money. <laughs> They're old, they're uneducated, you know, a lot of these senators and stuff don't even believe in evolution or anything. I mean, it's just, they're not elite. They're just assholes. Call them insiders if you want to have a term, but don't say elite. Stop saying that. Yeah, There's I mean, nothing yeah, I mean, superior about, uh, you know, committing crime.
1: You know, as bad as David Rockefeller is, I'm not afraid of him. Uh, he's, what, 96 years old. Uh, I saw him, I stood about 15 or 20 feet from him when he came out of the Library of Congress unattended. Uh, at a at a Bilderberg steering committee meeting, back about ten or fifteen years ago, and I kept saying hello, David, hello, David, and he finally waved at me. But uh, but yeah, what 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 Mr. Jones has done and done quite effectively is is build up this uh, build up this uh, in the minds of many many people this idea that we really can't be defeated. And you know, I he often complains. I tell you. He often complains that, that his critics say that he doesn't mention Israel or that he doesn't criticize the Jews. I have never criticized Alex Jones on either of that foundation. What I have said, and I will continue to say, is that what he always does is talk about the Nazis and present the Nazis as a, as a hidden source, and that in so doing, he raises up the propaganda specter, the propaganda element that surrounds the state of Israel vis-a-vis this issue of the Holocaust and, and anti-Semitism and so forth. But, but Alex Jones would have people believe that they criticize him for things that, that I don't think any serious critics of Alex Jones really do criticize him for. I mean, it just goes
0: into absolute nonsense. And with 9-11, he completely said the Israelis could not have done it and had no role. And whether you're talking about 9-11 or JFK, you can't omit uh, the hypothesis of an Israeli role. I mean, it is more so or at least equal weight to say in the CIA or or any other faction that's been brought up about JFK. And if you don't talk about Israel at all, you're really showing your hand there.
1: Well, you know what I've always said about that? And, And even though even though I've written a book alleging Israeli involvement in the Kennedy assassination, and even though I have said from the beginning that I believe that Israel was, in fact, the prime mover behind the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, and even though I have said and believe from the beginning that Israel was behind 9-11, which people can either agree with or disagree with to one degree or another. You know, the one thing, the one thing that no one can dispute is the fact that Israel was behind the attack on the USS Liberty. And if you start turning that rock over, uh, you know, now, of course, the the only thing the supporters of Israel can do is say, oh, it was a terrible accident. But, you know, the thing is, if the if the not even
0: they can't even get that much, really. I mean, it was clearly marked. no,
1: No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But but the point is that that when it comes down to that issue of the USS Liberty I certainly believe that if 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 the American people knew about even the bare bones of the USS Liberty they knew knew as much about that as they know as much about Oprah Winfrey's diets uh that it could have major political consequences in this country but of course we're not supposed to know about that. So it's, uh, again, and again, for a variety of reasons. Although uh, Alex Jones would tell us that the Arabs control Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is just, you know, more of the same, unfortunately. But, you know, but like I say, I, I have seen, I mean, back when I first started doing this, when I first started writing what I'm writing today, it was in the early I think the first article I ever wrote for the old Spotlight newspaper was in 1981. And as I was saying the other day, I was so afraid to write under my own name. I wrote under the name Richard V London. And it was an article about the uh the Anti-Defamation League inspecting letters critical of Israel that had been member- mailed to members of the U.S. Senate. And and, and in fact that's what the story was actually The Anti-Defamation League bragged that members of the Senate had turned over letters critical of Israel to the ADL for their inspection. Uh, And that's the first article I ever wrote. And so, I mean, I've been writing about various aspects of this whole thing uh, since I was uh, 21 years old, at least writing, quote-unquote, professionally. But you know, the thing is, you know, for better or for worse thank god for the internet in this respect because now now people doing research on so many things on the internet can find out things that they well just like you said how you found out about my work because you were researching angleton if i got that correctly you know what i mean and now and now here you are you've been posting on the internet so many other people are posting on the internet good things not to mention all the people who are posting bad things, but but the internet has cracked things wide open, and now there are so many people saying so many things that need to be said such that there are people who just by accident are going to find out things whether they intend to or not. And that's a good thing, as uh, What's-Her-Name would say.
0: Well, if they use it correctly, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. the internet can be a huge distraction or it can be... Uh, a great aid. So it depends. But you were talking about Kennedy's affairs. One of them was with Marilyn Monroe. Um, do you think she was murdered? You put stock in that Mickey Cohen, or what do you think?
1: Well, you know this in in the book, in Final Judgment, I have a chapter on on Mickey Cohen, and and it it interrelates to Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I do think Marilyn Monroe was murdered. And I do tend to think that the story presented by the late Gary Ween, uh, who I knew, Gary Ween had been a beat detective in Hollywood, going back to the, uh, to the time when Marilyn, and he knew Marilyn, uh, uh, back to the time when Marilyn was an up-and-coming young starlet. And Gary had a lot of information about things, naturally, the beat detective in Hollywood, knows a lot of things about a lot of things, including Mickey Cohen. So Gary was absolutely convinced, and in his book There's a Fish in the Courthouse, which was a fascinating but poorly written and difficult-to-read book. Uh, And I shouldn't say it was poorly written. It was almost elegantly written, but it was a very hard-to-read book. Uh, And Gary was reflecting on a lot of things. and, and he didn't organize it in the best possible way. But um, I tried to break it down in final judgment, and, 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 and Gary was absolutely certain that it was Mickey Cohen who had killed Marilyn Monroe, and he killed her at a time right around the time that Bobby Kennedy had been visiting Marilyn. So it was kind of a situation, if, if Gary Ween was correct, uh it was kind of one of these situations where anything the kennedys did vis-a-vis Marilyn monroe would have made them look guilty or they would have you know the very idea that bobby was at Marilyn's place the day she died was something they didn't want to be known and uh and gary gary very uh very firmly believed in this and uh and I just have to say, for the record, it's kind of sad because uh, you know Gary and I—I I had met Gary, and uh, uh, he had given me a copy of his book, and he had he had, he had let let me in on some things confidentially, uh, among other things that it was former or it was then Senator John Tower of of Texas, who had actually filled in Gary. About some things surrounding the Kennedy assassination, going back to 1963, without getting into the details. But but the point is, it's kind of unfortunate because after I published Final Judgment uh, and and gave due credit to Gary, uh, he he actually got kind of jealous, and uh, because you know Final Judgment sold very very well, and I think he felt kind of left out. Uh, but I had given him all due credit, and I still do to this day, because uh, because he was somebody who, uh, even when Anthony Summers was writing his famous book, Goddess, on Marilyn Monroe, he went to Gary Ween for inside information on Marilyn. And a lot of people have very carefully ignored Gary Ween, because, again, Gary Ween got into these Israeli connections. He talked about Mickey Cohen, uh, Mickey Cohen evidently did have a big influence on Jack Ruby. Well, they're trying to get uh,
0: Marilyn to, to, to get Jack's, uh, actual thoughts on Israel. Is yeah.
1: He- yeah. And there's a lot of stuff there that, uh, that again, people don't want to talk about. Uh, I suppose probably the most interesting thing, um, uh, about, uh, about Jack Ruby and, uh, and and Gary Ween is is what i believe is a possibility uh based on what Gary has has written and what other people have written is that whenever whenever the whenever Jack Ruby was was told to kill Oswald that the order may have come through Mickey Cohen that's a possibility because uh because Ruby had made some phone calls and there were There were some interesting things there. Uh, Also, you know, it's kind of interesting that here's a typical example of how things like this are ignored vis-a-vis the JFK assassination in general and Jack Ruby. A lot of people have pointed out that the night, I think it was the night before the JFK assassination, that Jack Ruby had been in touch with a gentleman named Lawrence Myers. And a lot of people, make they try to make, excuse me, they try to make a connection about Lawrence Myers to suggest that he may have been Ruby's mafia contact. Well, first of all, Lawrence Myers was Jewish. But what's very, very interesting also is that Lawrence Myers was linked to smuggling connected to Israel. And I believe, I believe it involved the smuggling. This is off the top of my head now. But I believe it involved smuggling. That now that I think about it, had something to do with electronics, which of course would have perhaps uh, actually been involved in 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 nuclear uh, nuclear uh, weapons. Uh, uh, what do you call it? I don't know the terminology, but uh, you know, surrounding surrounding the uh, what do you call it? Um, Are you talking about the triggers for them? The trigger, yeah, trigger mechanism. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Lawrence Myers, Lawrence Myers had been linked to a, a company that was involved with smuggling to Israel in in a realm of electronics. And Jack Ruby himself. Yeah, it was had, Heli,
0: it was Heli Trading, which is uh, run by um, Milton.
1: Okay. Well, see right there. You see, so so there are these other little odd little. I mean, Jack Ruby himself. Jack Ruby himself. Uh, according to FBI files, had investigated smuggling arms to Israel. You know, involve. I shouldn't say he didn't investigate smuggling, but he was inve- He was uh, he was get. He was applying for uh, 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 licenses to export weapons to Israel. And and you know, another thing too, which uh, is kind of interesting again, uh, but it's really peripheral to the big picture there was a there were there have been suggestions that lee harvey oswald may have been involved in some way in investigating arms smuggling out of dallas and everybody generally perceives that arms smuggling to be linked to uh, to right wing militias and so forth you know old fashioned uh, militia groups and patriot groups and so forth but but it's been documented in, in a variety of places that there was an incredible amount of thefts from American uh, military installations in the Southwest, and this a lot of this material was being smuggled to Israel, and it's entirely likely it's entirely likely that Jack Ruby was involved with that because uh, uh, of the, Dr. William Pepper who wrote uh, a number of books on the Martin Luther King assassination, has established, uh, I will say the fact, he has established the fact that Jack Ruby was in fact connected to a Mossad-connected individual, a Mossad official who was involved in that kind of arms smuggling, and so was in fact the famous figure Raoul, who has been linked to the... The Martin Luther King assassination so so again, you see it starts going off in in a lot of uncomfortable directions, even in the realm of the assassination of Martin luther King and I can tell you I can tell you that uh, that that even uh, James Earl Ray in early filings that he did on his own right after he was taken into custody. And the J- James Earl Ray was a smart guy. Uh, he was a career criminal uh, of kind of a rough, rough and tough kind of background. But I can tell you that in his own personal filings, James Earl Ray said that he believed that he was being manipulated by elements here in the United States specifically in New Orleans, who were connected to pro-Israel groups in the United States. And and, and, I, and I had some correspondence with James Earl Ray that James himself initiated. And he, on his own, had come to believe that there was an Israeli connection behind Martin Luther King's assassination. And, you know, it was fascinating to me that a few years ago, after James died, there was a book put out by one of James Earl Ray's brothers. And in this book, in this book, there was something that just jumped out at me totally out of the blue. Uh, this book said flat out that, uh, that while James had been misled into believing That the Bronfman family may have had some connection to the JFK assassination, that that was misinformation that was to be ignored. Now this really struck me as kind of odd, because in the correspondence I had had with James, again which he initiated, and it was over an extended period of time, he had never directly brought the Bronfman family up to me. But what was really funny was that in the course of looking over this book, which I felt, even though it was by James Earl Ray's brother, it struck me as having had a, it was as though someone, after the fact, was trying to, uh, trying to redirect attention away from Zionist and Bronfman family connections, possible connections, to the assassination of Martin Luther King. And lo and behold, I discovered that someone who I've come to since see has some, uh, shall we say, connections to the intelligence community, actually played a hand in putting this book together, which was obvious disinformation, uh, written by a member of James Earl Ray's own family. And so, so when I see these kind of things at work, these are the kind of things that raise questions in my mind and add further to my own suspicion that if you dig deep enough you will find an Israeli connection even in the in the Martin Luther King assassination. But I'm going to leave that to somebody else to write uh, that book because uh, I don't have the time or the desire to do it, but I do know, I do know again, that there are a lot of people out there posing as patriots, you know, posing as truth-seekers, who, uh, have played a role in, uh, putting out a lot of disinformation, uh, you know, and, uh, they put on a good show and they, uh, they, uh, they, they say all the right things and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're proverbial, uh, carnival barkers, hucksters, who have, uh, who have, you know, who have a, have a facility for the quick line and, uh, and are able to, uh, portray themselves as, uh, as truth seekers, but what they're doing is really really muddying the waters and it and it involves every issue that's out there whether it's whether it's something that involves Israel, but when it comes to covering up the role of 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 the powers that be in so many of the things that that do affect our day to day lives and and affect the course of foreign policy and all these issues that 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 are real real blood and guts issues. So, well, you so, get two you know,
0: extremist th- groups out there. You have like Jonestown, which will whitewash Israel and and go out of their way to dodge and not mention anything about them, uh, other than the minimal. And then you have those that blame everything on the Jews, like Veterans Today, which no matter what happens, if there's a school shooting, it's the Israelis. If anything, my coffee's cold, it's the Israelis. And uh, what those two do have, uh, they have in common is that it makes it just dismissive to bring up Israel because either they don't say it yeah at all or they blame everything on them and it's, you know, yeah okay.
1: and, and, and any any serious discussion gets lost in the uh, gets lost in the shuffle and uh, and that has been a that has been a real uh, real uh, uh, a problem for me uh, you know uh, personally but but as I, I was just saying to somebody earlier uh it's really a bigger issue because uh you know any any serious political discussion now if you uh if you bring up uh bring up well israel or or anything of that nature you're all obvi- you're dismissed as a kooky conspiracy theorist who also believes a b c d e f g things that you may not even believe uh you know and uh, yeah so so it's uh it's it's a very difficult and, and but you know you know these masters of disinformation have turned us into a real science and uh and and they know that they have a built-in audience um whether on the internet or in any other forums where people you know are they they have a a, a very real and very rational distrust of the government or or of of special interests or or, or power groups, and uh, they're almost ready to believe anything that comes down the pike. Yeah,
0: they get diverted, and every single, what I'd call, main crazy gets to use Jonestown yes. as a springboard. Whether it's yes, the earthquake absolutely. machines, or Fukushima's going to kill us all, or, uh, you know, that, that Jackie killed John, or whatever. They get, uh, no planes are on 9-11, all the crazy stuff. Always they go on Jonestown, otherwise you wouldn't know who these people are. But we all know, we've all heard that stuff, and it's because of him.
1: Yeah, and... He's your uh, best asset,
0: and I mean that in a literal sense.
1: Well, you know, as I always say, you know, I I always thought I could do a reasonably good impression of Alex Jones, and unfortunately many people say he and I could have been separated at birth, but uh, um, the one thing is that I always say uh, that if I can do Alex Jones, if I can do an impression of him... Alex Jones can do an impression of Alex Jones. You know, I remember I remember in all honesty watching the first time I ever watched an Alex Jones video and I'd been around the the block politically and involved at a relatively high level, you know, being an editor of the Spotlight back in the days when the Spotlight was the biggest thing on the block and there was no such thing as the internet and we had like 360,000 paid subscribers which made us bigger than many of the the big political publications in the country but but when I first watched an Alex Jones video I remember sitting there watching it and saying well you know he's got a lot of good points there and that point he's documented and then I was saying to myself "But would I show this video to one of my friends who is intelligent would I show this video to one of my friends who is a genuine truth seeker, but who is not immersed in, in this kind of political debate? And my immediate reaction was, no, this guy comes across, meaning Alex Jones, he comes across as, as almost a caricature of a quote-unquote right-wing extremist or, or quote-unquote patriot. And, you know, my next thought was... Well,
0: which he was for the majority of his life. He was a right-wing extremist.
1: Well, but my question now is, my question then, as it is now, is, well, is this a deliberate caricature? Is this guy for real? No,
0: he's an actor.
1: Well, see, there you go. Because he's
0: not stupid enough. I don't believe he's stupid. And so there's no way he's dumb enough to parrot a lot of the things he said. So it's got to be on purpose.
1: Yeah, I mean that's really that's. Because you can yeah. talk
0: to some of the yeah. other kooks and you realize, they're not they're not uh, being paid or anything. This person's just stupid. They're just an idiot. <laughs> that's why they believe it, and it makes perfect sense. But yeah. then someone like Alex, like he's not an idiot.
1: Uh, I wouldn't no, say he's no, smart either.
0: I mean he's normal, but he's smart enough to know better. So it's on yeah. purpose.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. See, and that's where that's where. Uh, Yes, exactly. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where that's where I came early on to conclude that there was something something not correct. But regardless, you know, pay,
0: paid off or not the result's the same. This uh, disinformation. Precisely.
1: Precisely. Just as just as in the end yes, JFK did die uh, yes, in fact uh, uh there was an attack on New York City on uh, September 11th, 2001, uh, and people did die. I've heard lately that only 12 people actually died on September 11th. Um, you know.
0: See, that's even too stupid for Jonestown. He wouldn't touch that. <laughs> he only goes for the mid-range propaganda. The the, yeah, the yeah, far yeah. far because it's more effective. But the yes, far far exactly. stuff out there, that's just a. It acts as a Google dragnet, so if someone's trying to find my work on 9-11, unless they put my name in it, which means they already know, uh, they're probably not going to find it because if you type it in, you're going to go to Jonestown or you're going to get one of these Fetzers or one of these total lunatic, uh, you, I won't call them theorists.
1: Let me tell you something, Ryan. You just put yourself on, you, you just put your finger on something that I was trying to convey to somebody the other day. I had occasion to be researching some particular person on Google in conjunction with some particular subject matter. Okay, And I'm a pretty good researcher, Uh, I don't have a Ph.D., and I understand you have to have a Ph.D. to be a serious researcher, I heard recently, but but, uh, I'm a pretty good researcher and I have a pretty good handle for using Google. And at any rate, I, I I put in this name and this concept in conjunction. And I found, and, and I was a pretty diligent researcher in this particular time. I must have had the time to do it. I must have gone through probably 20 pages of repetitive nonsense on Google that was either uh, unrelated to what I was looking for, or related to what I was looking for, but not in the particular specific area, if I if I can describe it that way. And I don't remember exactly what it was. But after about 20 pages, I found what I suspected. I found the detail that, my in my own mind, I said, my God, if I look hard enough, I'm going to find this. And I found a very reasonable, rational, responsible source which documented precisely what I suspected to be the case. But that was after literally going through about 20 Google pages, and that's exactly what has happened. That once some crazy thing, for want of a better way of describing it, once some crazy, even idiotic thing gets up on the internet, the real serious stuff the real details, the real facts, get buried.
0: It gets buried then, in the ether.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the people who are looking, looking for a fact, are, uh, you know, uh, whatever it happens to be. Or just like you've, you've, you've mentioned in reference to something like you've been working on, it gets lost. But the crazy stuff is up there, and once, once somebody picks it up and puts it out there, it takes on a life of its own.
0: But the more sensationalist, the more we're all gonna die, the more uh, scary something is, the faster it spreads.
1: Oh, you know, you know, I'll tell you what I've just said to somebody today, and it kind of reflects what I started to realize years ago. But now I, I predict, I do predict that within the next several years a book a book will be published to great acclaim by the major media in this country, by somebody whose name is well-known, somebody who has carved out a niche on the internet as a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist, as a quote-unquote expert, this person is going to write a book and say, hey, guess what? For the last five years, I have been publishing nonsense up on the internet, and I have been Watching all sorts of people pick it up and publish it and take it seriously and, and of course the consequence of something like this is that, 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 that the media is going to say well this just goes to show you how all those crazy conspiracy theorists are all those people who talk about Israeli intrigues actually and there all- was a guy
0: that did something like that he made a video of building 7 uh, with the sound and having it in a blow up and da 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 and uh I immediately said that's fake, and made a response video, but my video only got about three thousand views, but all these people went around um quoting it and and using the clip and saying, "Oh, and even engineers and everything were saying, "Yeah, you can see how the 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 just talking about why they thought it was real and da 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 and then the guy came out and was like nope i made it, I made it up completely using this software and that, and you guys are such suckers but I looked at it and said it was fake immediately. Yeah, well, but, and I'm but sure. But and I said I'm sure my retraction to it, I didn't get suckered in by it, but a lot of people did. But it was clearly fake. It was just random yeah, explosions.
1: Yeah, and this, this is what's going to happen. Somebody's. I know that there's somebody been out there doing this in a big way. I don't know who it is, you know, uh, but they're going to they're gonna come out and they're going to laugh the whole way. You know, I'll tell you a few years ago, give you a very interesting example. A few years ago, somebody put out a story. There was a story about missing funds from Goldman Sachs, and the the story was published in the Wall Street Journal. There was a story about Goldman Sachs published in the Wall Street Journal. But somebody thought they would be clever and appropriate the Wall Street Journal story and mix it up with their own allegations that the Goldman Sachs money had been secretly um, funneled off to Israel. Well I have no doubt in my own mind that that scenario could take place. You know, I mean, I don't, don't have any doubt about it at all. But um, I pointed out on my radio show that the story itself, while the original story was very real and was from the Wall Street Journal. The particular item in question that had caused so much of a fuss had actually not appeared in the original story. Somebody else had inserted that into the story and put it on the Internet, and it had gained circulation. And I had otherwise intelligent people calling my radio show and saying, Mike, can't you see that, first of all, they were saying, even if this story is a hoax, even if it's a fraud, even if somebody conjured this up, It represents reality, and that's why it's important. There were other people who were saying, but wait a minute, this story originally appeared on this website. And I would say, no, it didn't. It was picked up from this website. People wanted to believe in the story. And so when I started saying, wait a minute, this story really isn't true, people were saying that, well, Mike Piper is covering up for Israel. Mike Piper is covering up for the Mossad. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what well, I mean? Well, here's another I... one
0: in recent times, Like, and this was promoted by Melonhead. Um, they said that several school shooters, and I don't even say their names because I don't like to make them famous, but from Sandy Hook and the Aurora shooting in Colorado, they said their fathers were going to testify in the LIBOR scandal, um, which is BS because the LIBOR trial was uh, in June and the shootings happened in July and then the other one was in one of the embers. I don't know what happened after the trial had already taken place. And none of their, neither one of their fathers were involved in it at all, but, uh, it just was a juicy connection. And so they had these charts. It was a meme on Facebook, which tends to be the depth of, uh, people's political research sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> people kept saying over and over again, they're connected to LIBOR. I'm like, you don't even know what LIBOR means. Um, they already had yeah, a trial. They're it. having a yeah. civil trial later, but it had nothing to do with their dad's uh <clears throat> one of whom I think didn't even have a dad. But uh yeah, yeah it didn't even had nothing to do with it at all. But Jonestown said it, they did they have no filter. Just whatever conspiracy sounds good and they roll with it.
1: That's it. And this is this is where where we are. And so anytime you try to discuss uh you know, I you try to discuss uh something like this, then then you're lumped in altogether, and it's bad enough, you know, on this issue of Israel and uh, and uh, and and Jewish power in America and how it affects U.S. foreign policy. And you know, when you're discussing things that are already controversial, uh, you know, you you have this problem that, uh, that people's backs are already up, and then then everything else that's uh, that's connected to it. Uh, you know it becomes this uh, becomes this horrible uh hornet's nest and uh and 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 it's it's not very nice and you know i i get i get very very frustrated with it uh um, but you know i made up my mind uh uh 2 weeks ago without going into the details but i made up my mind 2 weeks ago that uh as far as this issue of sandy hook was concerned, I was going to have something to say about it, and that would be it. Uh, consequently, Consequent to that decision, I, or subsequent, I should say, to that decision, I had some, uh, some health uh, issues that, uh, that sidetracked me. But uh, I, I, still, I'm, I'm, I'm returning to that very purpose now that I'm back in the swing of things and actually feeling better than I've felt for about a year, as I mentioned to you earlier. Uh, I'm going to uh, wrap that issue up. But, you know, a lot of other people are starting to come uh, out. They won't come care, out. though.
0: I mean, it's like your religious cult.
1: You oh, can say oh, no,
0: whatever no. you want and have all the evidence in the world. Like, I'll tell them, an airplane did hit the Pentagon. You know, there's a giant airplane-sized hole. There's plane parts still there. The people on the plane were dead. It was witnessed by everybody in Northern Virginia. It doesn't matter. They just stick with what they want to hear, and they don't care about evidence. No,
1: and no, dogmatically. That's
0: true. I mean, no, so that, you can try, but I think you're just feeding the trolls.
1: No, no, you, you, and you're you're absolutely right about that, but you know, just for I, you know, the problem the pro I have a without going into the details and boring your listeners and really astounding them, but uh uh my own health problems that were t- totally unexpected. Uh even people some of these uh, people are now saying that that was a hoax. So <laughs> no, I can verify that
0: that happened because that's why we had to postpone this interview. But,
1: but, you know, see, the thing is, I could have been lying to you, too. But I mean, you know, but the the uh, the whole uh, the whole thing has been now they're now they're literally saying that 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 was all a lie, too, uh, that that it was just a a hoax to cover up the fact that well why lie to me
0: too you could just not schedule it you could just schedule it for now from the beginning you know
1: i I actually mentioned that to a number of people uh, off the air you know i said well you know ironically enough that very same day i was supposed to be on your program you know but uh but but be that as it may i'm now uh determined and committed to just spend a couple more public hours
0: plus i didn't know what happened till after you got better
1: because I didn't, yeah exactly yeah I, was like, yeah I was
0: sitting here ready and i'm like man what happened
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but be that as it may i'm going to wrap it up and and as i said to somebody today uh after that's after the nonsense is out of the way that way i will be able to get back to at least trying to discuss real things and real issues and getting back into a, a groove where uh I can actually try to talk about the uh, the things that do need to be talked about, you know, and uh, and my critics uh, be damned, because in the old days, I was accustomed to my critics being people from the Israeli lobby and on their payroll. But now my critics are saying that I am on the payroll of the Israeli lobby. (laughs)
0: I've heard that I'm an agent, too. I'm like, I wish I was getting paid
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so it's uh, yeah, if I were getting if I were controlled or influenced or paid, we wouldn't rights, live the way we live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I, right. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if I'm going to go home to my apartment tonight and how freezing it will be, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, Ryan, you know, we have been on here. And I've enjoyed every moment of it. We have been on here for three hours.
0: Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. I mean, JFK is something we could talk about forever. And I'm going to read your yeah. book, False Flag, since I know it's free now. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I don't blame I don't you. i have the you league back league.
0: on for that. But, yeah, it just, time flew by. Man. I appreciate it. It was
1: fun. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, it's so, you know, what the listeners don't know is that uh, since the beginning of November, we have had two or three scheduled or tentatively scheduled uh, 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 interviews that that for one reason or another, all, the reasons for which I don't even exactly remember, um, uh, just didn't work out. Uh, one was on my end, and a couple were on yours. Yeah, see, I don't even. Yeah, except for this last, this last one, uh, which <laughs> I could write a book about that uh, in and of itself. Not not your involvement, but this okay. other business. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no one can help but, that. Uh, yeah, actually, I I was telling somebody that uh, that my. Uh, my uh, my physical distress of a couple weeks ago that uh, has resulted in these allegations that uh, that it's been a big fraud or a hoax on my part uh, really turned out to be what I described as a as a as a most fortuitous tragedy because uh, the the allegations that have been made against me that I've been faking and that's been a fraud have shown up a lot of these fools for exactly what they are uh, so. Little did I know that would happen, but now that I think about it, they'll probably say that I deliberately orchestrated it as they begin to realize how foolish they really do look. But, so
0: that they would jump a <laughs> gun, so they would look
1: stupid. <laughs> it's just never-ending. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, listen, I do appreciate your great patience over the last six or eight weeks, and I've, I've, I have admired your work from afar, and this is the first time we've actually spoken, and all I can say to you is keep doing what you're doing and... Uh, and, and 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 I and I know you'll keep getting better because uh you've done a whole hell of a lot in a very short time, and I've seen a couple of your videos, and like I said, I started out wanting to go into the film business, so when I see how effectively you have been able to do it and get a political message out, I wish I could have done it myself.
0: Well, you can still do video, maybe not for Hollywood, but it is a good <laughs> it is a good medium. I write books too yeah. But- It's different circles of people, you know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, as I always say, we all got to do what we know how to do. And uh, there are even people out there who are cab drivers and electricians and all sorts of people who have very good political ideas. And they have as much right to express their opinion and and put their opinions out, whether or not they have PhDs or whether or not uh, they have... uh, big, uh, network, uh, programs like Jonestown, you know? So, so I just keep telling people to keep doing what they can do no matter how small it is and, and get the real word out, not the nonsense. Yeah.
0: I started with about 12 people. So
1: that's there how, it, you always, go. That's how right. it always begins. That's I, right.
0: I had an AOL hometown page. That's how bad it was. <laughs>
1: All right. See, yeah. See, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you know, and so it goes. <laughs> yeah,
0: and Now I've been on TV and I'm interviewing Michael Collins Piper, so there you go.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Don't tell too many people that. <laughs> no. Well, I'll, anyway, probably, <laughs>
0: I'll probably break this up into two or three uh, things and I'll put it up on the podcast and I'll send you over my 9-11 film. And I really, Whatever really you appreciate do. your time, man.
1: Whatever you want to do. Let's keep in touch, Ryan. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, All take, right, Yeah, take care of yourself.
0: You too.